What up, fanboys and fangirls? Welcome to another edition of Talking Pop with the Franchise and Biko. It's the podcast all things pop culture. I'm your illustrious host, the Franchise, and of course, joining me is my brother from the same mother, Biko. Hello, guys. Uh, today's episode this is uh, Plus Ultra! Pop news episode, so we'll say pop news hashtag number two. Um, we're pretty much going to look at the pretty much more pop culture news. Is up. Um, we will come up with a new topic soon, like something that you know, dear and near to our hearts that we will have a long discussion of. But right now, with the whole um, COVID-19 thing still going on, um, we wanted felt to let you know some stuff that's going on in the news of pop culture, sports, and many more outlets. Um, don't forget this, that podcast is sponsored by Anchor. Don't forget, Anchor is the easiest way to create a podcast. Make sure uh, if you follow the ad that we have before the, uh, this episode, it's real easy. I like to use it. This tool is really helpful. Love using this platform. Big props to Anchor. Don't forget to check out our store. It's at teespring.com slash talkingpop. We got merch. We got shirts. We got hoodies. We got tank tops. We got coffee mugs. We got phone cases. We got decals. You want to put in your locker, put on your laptop or tablet. Buy your stuff. Support the podcast. You can also, if you go to our website, slash talkpop, you can actually sponsor the podcast itself. You can any little as... Even little as a dollar, you will help support the podcast keep us going. We're one of those independent-run podcasts with the back of Anchor. But like I said, we love to share our pop culture knowledge with you. Don't forget, go to anchor.fm to sponsor the podcast. You can do as little as a dollar, $5, or even $10. Hey, if you decide to donate $10, who knows? Maybe we'll have you become a guest on a future episode of Talking Pop. And also, we'll probably do a shout-out to your name to a donation. So don't forget, donate to the podcast. So it's anchor.fm dash talkpop. So look us on there, look at our page, look at our past episodes. So next get down to it. Um, the biggest thing with you know with COVID nineteen right now hitting the sports world, of course, there's still no sports going on. So um lately I just been watching, you know, old school WWE stuff. Even though WWE is planning, they already announced that they're pre taping Raw, NXT, and SmackDown, also WrestleMania, since this could be now two nights. Um, they're gonna actually pre tape everything because just in case you know C D C decides to shut them down. They want to have enough content they can to cover for the rest of the month. So they're doing that. And plus with the whole limits of not more than 10 people in the, in the, in the same room, that's why a lot of superstars are at their homes. And they're not going to report to the performance center unless they're being called on. So, and apparently there's like two superstars that are self-quarantined right now. Um, Dana, I just read this morning of um, Dana Brooke and Rey Mysterio. Dana Brooke, of course, was previously announced in the Women's Six-Pack Challenge for the SmackDown Women's Championship last week. Um, and then Mary Mysterio was still in the program when Andrade, but that has changed. Now Andrade and Angel Garza are going to take on the Street Profits for the Raw Tag Team Championships at WrestleMania. And, of course, Dana Brooke has been taken out of the Women's Six-Pack Challenge because they're self-quarantined due to COVID-19. They're not feeling well, but so far there's been no confirmation they have COVID-19. But it doesn't mean that, you know, they're not, WWE's not taking things lightly. They are doing screenings for the talent to make sure, you know, backstage that they're not having, you know, any symptoms or anything like that. Um, one big thing that I just saw, I know there were talks about it yesterday, but it looks like it's been confirmed today. Um, this is um, two hours ago on comicbook.com. The article is written by Megan Peters. Um, the Tokyo 2020 Olympic Games has been officially delayed to next year due to the coronavirus. Of course, you know, it was going to be in Japan. Of course, Japan was very excited to the point that we're going to use anime characters as the mascots for, as promotional for the Tokyo Games. Um, people were looking forward to it because skateboarding was supposed to be the first 
event added to the Olympics, so that was one of the things people were looking forward to, but apparently um, it's because a lot of like countries were pulling out. It looks like Canada was confirmed was just drawing and they did not delay the Olympics. It got to the point they got a lot of pressure, a lot of, you know, a lot of Olympic trials were canceled due to the, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic, and so hopefully they did confirm that it's going to take place in 2021. So, um, yeah, it was announced by the Prime Minister of Japan, Shizu Abe, earlier today. The choice was made not only full well, that the havoc it would have by the schedules of competing athletes. Of course, you know, with all sports being, you know, delayed to like May or, or sometime in the summer. So, what do you think of that, Biko? Um, I'm not surprised. Uh, I think they're doing the right thing by limiting travel, especially with the Olympics. I'm considering that you have different athletes uh, from all over the world coming and considering this thing is just getting worse and worse um, I I'm not surprised they're postponing to next year no that means since things are up in the air does that necessarily allude to the Olympics being held if it is postponed till next year to take place then are we doing it in 2025 after who knows um, but presently, that's it's whatever. It's just another sports thing. Like I'm on ESPN right now, and as I'm reading some of the headlines, it's kind of funny because it's it's like I'm I'm reading ESPN and and there it's a real I guess you, as far as real is concerned a news outlet for sports. But it's like I'm reading an Onion article because all this stuff is kind of up in the air. It's not like it get it can. We're not saying it's not going to be taking place sports in general. It's just that a lot of it's. You know, so we don't even know if that if it's going to even take place until next year. Um, I read just different people. It's like, what's the point? Like, I they don't have anything to report. Like, I, I they're, now they're just showing highlights of things that happened on the specific day. Uh, they're showing their people at work at ESPN as their commentators and anchors or whatever doing different sport workouts. Like, they they have not. For ESPN, what when can they honestly report? So I think it's cool that they're postponing the Olympics, but eh, it's just like all the other four-year competitions. It's just unfortunate that I had to this thing had to take place now. Um, but I see at least I don't know. Mainly, they're just talking about football. But yeah, I mean that's still going on with the free agency place. and stuff, yeah. and um, yeah, that's like the big thing right now. It's just pretty much you know. Um, with football, it's like, you know, that's all they do. It's how, you know, Tom Brady's going to the Buccaneers. You know, Bears are making yeah. moves in the free agency market. A lot of teams are making moves in the free agency market. Um, and, of course, um, was a Sunday, past Sunday, um, ESPN2 became ESPN the Ocho. So they started showing, like, they did for one day. Of course, if you haven't watched the film Dodgeball, of course, um, they made fun of it and decided to call ESPN the Ocho. ESPN ate the Ocho, and of course ESPN liked the gag so much they decided to do that, and shows like, you know, obscure sports competitions, which kind of cool. I mean, it was like another distraction, you know, with this whole COVID-19 thing, it's like another way to, you know, take your mind off it a little bit, and have a little fun, but like I said, I mean, I know, like I said, a lot of, like, sports channels, like local sports channels from, like, old games and stuff, and highlights and stuff, but I mean, that's all we can do for right now, it's like... And, of course, a lot of, you know, productions are on hold right now or delayed due to the COVID-19. Um, and, of course, right now, I saw right here, um, this article is also conflict.com. written by Kofi Outlaw. Um, looks like YouTube is imposing global limits on video quality for a month. It says, of course, um, with the COVID-19, according to Bloomberg News, 
YouTube will reduce the quality of videos around the world in an effort to ease internet traffic during the coronavirus outbreak. Here are some initial changes to service that viewers can expect. And it says here, over the coming days, viewers will first see YouTube videos in standard definition, the company said. Users will still be able to watch in high definition if they want, but they will have to choose to do so. While YouTube viewing has historically spiked in the evening when people are for consumption is now more steady across the day, the company said. Yeah, so that's one thing too, yeah, because it's because, yeah, well, people are pretty much, you know, at home, unless you work in an essential business, what else can you do? Either watch YouTube videos. It's like your getaway, and <laughs> you know, with the whole internet traffic, it's well, like, yeah, I understand they want to. A lot, but yeah, YouTube is probably one of them that's gonna shoot up the stream um, bandwidth, and, and considering that a lot of people don't get to, aren't really equipped to work from home, you got to find other ways. I mean, this this whole lockdown situation things gets pretty old really fast if you don't are into different hobbies or you're just watching Netflix all day. That gets old too. Um, humans need to move around, and so I, I, it's not gonna, this is headed towards a, a different precedent, so even if we come out of this in a different light, um, our country's gonna have to change a lot of things really fast, although I don't have a lot of, um, a lot of hope for that, because they're already trying to, they're even under, a, I guess you could say a pandemic like this, they're still trying to pull shit under us, um, Democrats keep pushing back the the bill that the what they're calling the, the corona stimulus bill there you go yeah they're, they're holding that back because there's certain things in there and the guidelines that the corporations are getting the tax back yeah they're getting, it, and, and then we got to pay it, apparently we got to pay yeah, back so the money it's just 2008 all over again but they're using this as a crutch as opposed to using um there's the events resulting from 9-11 and how we handle that so it's just another we see this a lot, is that especially when it comes to emergencies or certain uh, global impacts such as these type of events happen, and the government doesn't, they try to sneak in different powers and, and obstructing our own rights in the in the lieu of trying to fight a pandemic that they may have, may have or may have not started in the first place. So, um, it's very weird, because a, a lot of the news that we want to bring to you a lot of it revolves around this damn virus and like yeah, like right here I mean, breaking it, news like the US is going to become the epicenter of the of the outbreak the epicenter outbreak ahead of Italy amid very large acceleration in cases the world health organization already warns over 46,000 people have been infected and 530 deaths have been recording putting America to overtake Italy in the number of cases to deaths wow yeah which we we took on this thing too late. Uh, I think it, to me it was like okay, yeah, like it hit China in November and no you know, testing. There's just a lack of testing. There's not enough test kits, and the problem is with people showing minor symptoms. Like they're like it's to the point that they like even hospitals are not you know they don't want they don't have enough tests. So it's kind of hard for them to test somebody if they don't have enough tests. And of course, you know, like. You know, Trump has been put on blast pretty much. You know, Jamie Prisker, you know, we live in Illinois. He's calling Trump out saying there's not enough testing. What's going on? You know, it's got like hospitals here don't have, you know, testing, not enough testing kits. So it's like either they're sending people away or they're only treated minorly. So it's kind of hard to find out if people have it or not. Because like I said, this is like a form of, this, this virus is like a form of SARS. So it's like in that same family. It's a respiratory illness. But it's like, in the, like I said, 
U.S. and the Russian world didn't take this seriously. They thought, oh, it's going to be in China. They're going to handle it. It's not going to be coming here. Just like everybody problem else. is, do you realize, this is, this is the one thing that kind of irritates me for the fact that we do a lot of business with China when it comes to, like, you know, manufacturing, exports. We use, we rely on China for services. You know, we rely on them making goods. Apple has their stuff in China. They have their manufacturing in China. Nike has their manufacturing in China. So these companies, sometimes they're based in the U.S., but they have outsourced manufacturing. So, you, they, so like I said, it happens, you know, they do a lot of traveling. Some people will be carriers. They won't show symptoms. But as soon as they meet with somebody, they'll get infected. You know, it, it spreads out. So it's like... And now China, I've been reading yet yesterday, you know, I was, you know, I was reading articles and stuff, and China's slowly recovering from it. You know, what they did was the right thing. They locked down for two months. And then pretty much, you know, they kept everybody inside. They delivered food to them. They wanted to make sure they can contain as much as you can. Yeah, but they're a communist country. But look at that. But now they're slowly recovering. They're opening highways again. I just read that movie theaters in China are starting to open up again. That's what they're saying, I don't believe that. They already knew about this two months ago. I don't believe that. Mm. Rather quickly for somebody that there's, they weren't able to contain in the first place, and then they're going saying, "Oh yeah, where everything's peace and birds again coming out." Like I don't believe that. And then Italy's became become this death death zone of, of of a virus takeover. Like it's very strange. I mean, whatever they're saying is saying one thing, but I don't. I think knowing that they they knew about it for two months didn't say anything. And like you mentioned, we do business with China a lot. So you're telling me. To route back and forth, especially people that are on those, that work in those type of high corp industries, like you're telling me that none of them knew about this, going back and forth, them coming to, or even then when they're traveling to Africa and investing all their money into helping African industry and the manufacturing and, and the infrastructure over there. So it's like, we don't hear a lot of places not reporting and we wonder why, like Russia hasn't said anything about it. But they're they're like neighbors. Like how do you how are they not getting they they've probably been affected too, but they're inflating things. They're they're linking that China's been lying about their their number of cases too. So it's just like I think we're at a point with this that it may not look outside, it may not look like nothing's happening, but whatever they're trying to do, it feels very strange. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause I just think there's a lot of under reporting and what these people have to do, at least in the governments, they have to not let this explode into something to where, I mean, we saw it before, people hear it once and people are already freaking out over toilet paper and hand sanitizer. Oh my God. What's, once that moves on to the next brainwashing scare, such as food, which is yeah, I mean, to happen, it's already happened. I mean, well, last, like I said, we went to what, we went to a grocery Super store last on Sunday and of course, you know, it, it got a little, I noticed it got a little better. But, and yeah, there's still a shortage on paper and stuff still, but I mean, it's, I mean, it's getting a little better, people are no longer like panic buying and everything now, but it's like, it was more like organized, it was like people were, you know, yelling at each other, there was no arguments, the workers were, you know, they were trying to stack up conversation and stuff, so it's like, you know, they weren't, you know, it's, the panic is starting to slow down, but of course there is, you know, they have to set limits on certain goods. Which kind of makes sense because you only got to get the manufacturers time to process and everything because this hit them hard. So they're trying their best that they can to manufacture the goods and you know ship it out to stores. And like I said, we got to give props to the people that work in the medical field, that work in retail, especially in grocery stores, pharmacies, hardware stores, 
Of course, people that work at Amazon right now, the fulfillment centers and delivery centers right now, because they're pretty much on the front lines. So we gotta give props to them because they're doing their best to try to keep this country going when it comes to like providing, like getting all these goods and services, you know, to the people. And of course, you know, right now we can't go to restaurants, we can't go to Starbucks or anything like that. Right now we gotta do or takeout or care or delivery. So we're trying to do our best to make sure those people can still work. But it kind of affects also people that work in bars and stuff. They can't do anything if they don't provide food. They can they have to shut down. So it's like with the whole social distancing that you can't have more than ten people in the place. So it was kind of hard. And the funny thing is, especially you know, with the whole social distancing, I was watching, you know, I followed the Young Bucks who are, you know, the tag team in AEW right now. They've been independent for years, but they have a, a video blog called Being the Elite, which pretty much they, you know, do a video blog of where they're at and stuff. And they got their, their fellow wrestlers who are friends and stuff backstage. And they were showing, you know, one of the first shows they had to do a relocation for their AEW Dynamite last week. And how it was set up where they had to put tarps around the stands because they're based in Jacksonville. AEW's based in Jacksonville, so they used the amphitheater that's near the stadium. So they had to put tarp, and they said, like, they only had a few chairs on the sides. Like, they're like, I think it was like Mick or Matt Jackson said, you know, the only people that were sitting there just wrestlers. That's it, because due to the, COVID, the CDC regulations. So they're the same thing, too. Like, say they would WWE, they film with no audience and stuff because, you know, they can have more than 10 people. And like I said, they're doing screens and stuff, and, you know, the quarantine. I know they did a little joke with the toilet paper with Kenny Omega, but it's like, they're trying to make light of the situation, but at the same time, you know, they're being smart, and like, you know, what Tony Khan says to wrestlers, like, if you're not feeling well, stay home. Nothing's going to affect your, your push or whatever program you're on. It's not going to be affected. And then, you know, there's talks that they already announced a lot of the shows they have planned for Wednesdays are being relocated. For now, because, you know, with the whole COVID-19 right now, it's... and. Like I said, they're trying to make light of the situation, and that's all we can do. Um, another thing, too, especially is, uh, talking about slowdown, because um, uh, remember last week when I talked about Dragon Quest, how it was in the slowdown stuff, because I think it kind of makes sense, because look at it right here, I just read an article on comicbook.com, PlayStation um, is slowing downloads down for some during the coronavirus pandemic. This article is written by Tanner Deadman. Um I said here, Sony announced this week that it plans on slowing down download speeds of PlayStation games for some users to ease the strain placed on the internet by so many people staying at home during the coronavirus pandemic. The company says it's working with internet service providers in Europe to manage download traffic and make the internet more accessible for the community at large. So it appears that the throttle downloads will only affect PlayStation users in the area for now. Sony's president and CEO Jim Ryan thanked everyone for understanding the announcement and said the measure was important when it comes to preserving internet access for everyone. Mm-hmm. That's why, you know, a lot of the internet providers are, you know, not taking data caps or waving the data caps right now because, you know, people are at home. They got to work. They're able to work from home. Or, you know, kids are – I heard, like, some schools are doing, like, you know, internet, you know, schooling right now just to keep the kids, you know, keep the classes going. So um, that's why a lot of people on the internet right now are using the internet more and more and more because, you know, they can't go outside much <laughs> unless you go into a pharmacy or a grocery store or get supplies. So that's one thing I just saw right now when it comes to... Like I said, it's like anything, any news thing we pull up, it's nothing but Corona. So I'm trying to find something lighthearted, but it's kind of hard because mostly everything is, you know, corona But I do want to do it on a helpful note because um, um, Bleach, the uh, the creator of Kubo announced that they're actually, the studio's actually going to, an- like the animation studio's actually going to animate the final arc of Bleach. The Thousand Year Blood War. 
which, you know, it was never, you know, animated. Um, they announced this weekend to celebrate the 20th anniversary of Bleach. They're going to animate the final arc. So we get to see a lot of voice actors come back. Hopefully for the dub, they bring Johnny Young Bosch back. Because he's, he's the voice of Ichigo. So hopefully that. And of course, um, he's doing a spinoff called Burning the Witch. Which is basically a spinoff of Bleach. Which focuses on a group that works for the Soul Society or witches. But they do other tasks as well. And they're not a branch of the Soul Society. But I heard that also got announced to be animated as well. So Tizuku was going to be busy on his hands. You know, doing the animation concepts for the characters and you know doing his work on the manga right now and of course um if you're a big naruto fan um we're jumping right to anime news um if you guys haven't read last week but i want to pull up because i have not um read his work you know masachi kishimoto you know naruto was his big you know franchise manga and of course he decided to write another manga with one of his um, assistants was doing the artwork but he was writing the plot um they just announced like last week, um, like a few days ago, that um, Samurai Eight manga is gonna end. Um, it's all gonna be so far as so far a total about five volumes, um, six volumes looks like. Uh, and it says here this year's uh, this is from an article from Anime News Network. Um, it was written by Crystalline Hodgkins. Um, so this year's seventeen issue Shueisha Weekly Shonen Jump magazine published the final chapter on Monday of. Masashashi Kishimoto and Akira Okubo's Samurai 8 The Tale Hachimaru manga. Um, the manga's fifth volume will ship to Japan on May 1st. Um, pretty much it's like, the way, I like the artwork. I mean, I guess a lot of people didn't like it because of the pacing and stuff. It was like, it was like a samurai, but with more of like a space type of thing. So it's a combination of like a little bit of science fiction, but a little bit of samurai. So it's a combination of both. I mean... I like the artwork, but I, I haven't read the manga, the anime, the volume supposed to debut at, at sometime the manga is supposed to be out released. The first volume is supposed to be printed March 3rd, and the second volume will release on May 5th. So, the first volume is out right now, but it looks like, like I said, it's some of those series. Hopefully, he has another work that he's going to work on, but that's one thing I wanted to bring up, because as I'm drinking my Naruto mug right now, <laughs> but... Um, and only two, um, there was an anime, I think I pulled it up right now, speaking of anime, no. trying to see what they got announced right now, oh, if you're fans of, um, Funimation announced today, um, it actually happened today, they added Roroni Keshin, um, the anime's been added to the catalog, you know, they're slowly adding, you know, with Anaplex being part of the Funimation family since Sony owns Funimation, so they're integrating their studio works to Funimation. Um, they announced that in the UK, US, Canada, UK, and Ireland, um, people, the f customers will be able to stream all 94 episodes of Irony Keshin. Um, this is a description of the series. I have not seen it. It's one of the top ones out there. But, of course, um, the work is good. But later in the years, the author, later in the years, he got in trouble. He went to jail for... Pretty much for child pornography hmm. in Japan. So it was years after his work was finished. So yeah, there's some backlash to it, but I mean, don't I mean the work is good. I have not. I always saw like snippets of it of the anime. I have not seen it in its entirety. But here's a description of the series. This is how the description from Funimation. Um, Welcome to the Meiji area. Japan is a land experiencing times of trouble, peace, and renewal after a long and bloody civil war. Swords and killing an outlaw. But all is not what we've seen. Lurking in the shadows are many survivors of the revolution awaiting their chance for vengeance. 
Only the former government assassin, Kenshin Himura, can keep the peace. Kenshin gave himself the life of Batsusai, the manslayer, and sets off as a lone wanderer. His travels lead to Kamiya Dojo, where he discovers a chance to start life over. Um, it ran for 94 episodes in the manga itself, here in Japan from 96 to 98, and spawned many anime video projects, and did some films as well, and even a live-action project was in the works. Um, but it's kind of cool, like, definitely check that out, guys. Um, the manga itself ran from 94 to 99, so... It run for a while. Um, definitely check that anime out. So definitely, it's right now. It's on Funimation. But I believe it's on Hulu. I'm not sure. But I know right now it's on currently on Funimation right now. So definitely check that out. I don't know if it's on Crunchyroll yet. Um, uh, let me see if there's any other anime news I'm gonna pull up for you guys. Screen's acting a little slow. <laughs> My tablet's gonna trying to hear. Trying to see what else is going on here besides, you know, a lot of stuff getting delayed and uh let's see here. It's like the seven, seven Deadly Sins. It's one of those um, mangas that's like the manga's really good and it's it's ending soon. But it looks like it's announced that they're getting a sequel to the manga and also an anime is gonna be done as well. Um if you haven't seen Seven Deadly Sins, definitely recommend it. It's on Netflix, it's a Netflix exclusive. Anime, so definitely check that out. It's kind of like, um, so it's like medieval type, you know, fantasy style. And you know, Seven Deadly Sins were like the great warriors and stuff. And of course, they're being blamed for the disaster happening years ago and stuff. So now they're like outlaws. But it's really good. There's some comedy in it, but the action and the animation sequences are really good. So definitely one of my recommendations if you have Netflix when it comes to like original anime. Um, definitely check that out. And read the manga because the manga is really good. Um, I heard a lot of good things about the manga itself. I never got into it, but I watched the anime and it even had the anime film on there, so definitely recommend that. Um, then last weekend, um, pretty much I've been. I decided to watch. Um, I've been like, like, watch all the season finales of the animes that were coming out this winter. Late um, winter, 2019, 2020. Um, a lot of them were having their season finales last week but the biggest one i want to talk about before we you know go over more news is my hero academia um i read the arc it's it was the last episode of the school festival arc it was a mini arc um of course you know with all the stuff going on you know the you know with the chisekai and pretty much you know the after the big battle with the mafia and like with the yakuza group um, they need a distraction, so UA High School was putting together like a school festival, so each class has to do a presentation. And of course, on Class 1A, they decide, you know, we want to put on a performance. You know, just to get everybody's moods up and, you know, with the whole, you know, All Might Song and Number 1, and Devers and you, Number 1 hero right now, and, you know, Deku, you know, Hayden Mario, Togata, pretty much, you know, Eri, the little girl. They're trying to find a way, you know, to cheer everybody at school up and get everyone's morale up, but at the same time, you know, Tiger Airy slowly integrated society because, you know, she was a girl that was experimented on. She was isolated because she had, her quirk has the ability to rewind. Basically, she could take a person and rewind them back to a certain point. But the problem is she doesn't have full control. And they were using her blood to pretty much make a drug that can stop quirks. And the Chisekai Hezekai were pretty much distributed in the black market. To all these gangs, so they can use it against heroes. So pretty much, Mirio got hit with it. 
temporary loss. Right now, he so far his quirk hasn't come back, but I think they're trying to find a way until Aerie can you know control her powers. Maybe he can get his power back. But right now, what Deku and him are doing, um, her and um, Mirio doing, are trying to make you know. They're the only contact they have with her, and like she feels more connected with them because they were the only ones to care for her a lot. Them and Sir Night Eye. Um, so this, uh, you know, he tells Deku tells her, "Hey, you want to come by the school festival? We're gonna put on a performance. I'm gonna be part of it. You know, the whole class has been practicing weeks, and of course, you know, there's this guy named Gentle Criminal who was a former dropout from UA High School, and he does things on YouTube and stuff on social uh, video streaming where he's like a thief, like a gentleman thief, but he tries a uh, do little crimes, but to bring out the social injustice. And he was planning to pretty much, you know, take on you know, the last four guys. If you have read the manga and watched the anime, but um, pretty much, he and La- his sister Labrava, um, pretty much, they were going to plan to infiltrate um, the the festival. The problem is, what Deku's afraid of, if they infiltrate it, they're going to cancel it. Aerie's not going to get to see the show. She's going to be disappointed. So he tries his best to stop them. And of course, in this episode eighty six, that was passed this weekend. Um, he was able to stop it. Like, they had this great battle, like, Gentle Crow's career is kind of cool, because he takes anything and makes it elastic. He has the elasticity quirk, so he could pretty much take any surface, any non-living surface, and make it elastic, like a bouncy type of thing. So, taking, like, something like a steel beam and turning it into a rubber substance is kind of cool, so, Deku was able to stop it, and, um, lucky he was able to get back in time to get ready for the show. And it was a cool sequence, um, pretty much, um, the song is called Hero 2, and um, it was a song, um, they had a guest vocalist doing the English voice for Jiro, for, um, for Jiro, so she um, sang in English. Uh, the, the guest vocalist was uh, Christine Katsansa, she has a band, but they, she does like a lot of collaborations. So she was kind of cool, um, the song is really cool, like the performance is great, you know, reading the manga was different because, like I said, I'm more head on my hero, so it was awesome seeing it animated. The performance being animated because in the manga they always show like highlights of it, but seeing it an actual like a full performance, it was like a full song too, so it was kind of cool. So seeing that performance was kind of awesome, and then, of course everybody who some part is my hero like in any fan, uh, official fan club fan group on Facebook, everyone was so excited. The finally you know, Aaron gets a smile because she never smiled. This was a little girl that pretty much was in isolation and being experimented on, and finally she was able to smile again. So it was kind of cool seeing her smile. Kind of, I started tearing up a little. It was like, oh, you know, this girl, you know, like I said, she was held in isolation. And, you know, they were using her for for experimentation. But, like, she was able to enjoy something, you know. It was kind of cool. The music was awesome. Uh, and, of course, you know, the, the, the stage and everything and the performers of the of the whole class was awesome. And, you know, Baku playing the drums. Momo was playing the, the guitar, was playing the keyboard. Juro and Tokiyami were playing guitars. Um of course, Jiro, she was like the lead singer, so it was kind of cool. And like I said, um, and of course, they showed the other classes too. And it kind of shows like their little fan play, which pretty much was a collaboration of three different stories: um, Romeo and Juliet, um, Harry Potter, and Lord of the Rings. Because the whole title was, oh my god, it was a long time. I forgot, I forgot the name of it, but they had their play. Um, they showed the different like classes, like, the different competitions they had, and you know, enjoy the festival. Pretty much just what it was. And it's leading up to the next two episodes, um, because that, right now, they did release, if you guys want to check out the, the video, Toho Animation did release the music video of it, which shows, like, the, the song and, of course, the performance of it, 
definitely check that out on their YouTube channel or check out the episode My Heroes on Hulu, Funimation, and Crunchyroll. Definitely check that out. Um, they did release a poster for the, the last two episodes of the season, which is going to introduce Hawks into the mix. It's going to be the Pro Hero arc. Well, the beginnings of the Pro Hero arc, because it's going to follow Endeavor and Hawks, because, of course, they did the whole hero ranking, so you get to see the other heroes and how they're ranking in the world. Of course, you know, All Might used to be the number one. Now Endeavor has that. I would say, like, that burden of now he has to be, he's the number one hero. So he's got to be, like, that face of the pro heroes. Um, you always, if you saw the My Hero Academia or Heroes Rising movie, you always saw Hawks for a little bit in that in that film. You always saw him for a little bit in that film. But you get to see him more in these last two episodes of the season. Hopefully, he's in all season five. We'll see how it goes. But definitely, um, that's the manga that I do recommend too. That's one of the top animes I recommend. But the manga itself is really good. Um, the Vigilantes spinoff manga is really good as well. And the next volumes won't be out till June. So I'm, you know, waiting until June. Um, and I just finished like the School Breeze, which is like a light novel, which is you know the main creator. He's in charge. He oversees it, but it's kind of like the stories in between certain plots in the manga that like, Horikoshi couldn't like he couldn't like put in the whole manga. So he had this writer, one of his assistants, help write it. And it's a cool light novel. It's, it's called School Briefs, and pretty much it's like the stories in between. Between certain arts. So, you know, it follows, like, the, the students in their, you know, school lives. Because they are students. Even though they're heroes in training, they're technically still students. You know, they have to worry about certain things like shopping or, you know, find, helping helping a lost child, you know, find their mom or parent. Or preparing for Parents' Day. So I read the first book, and it was awesome, you know. It kind of fleshes out the characters more, and it's more interaction between, you know, the main cast and the other students in the classroom. And there's, like, there's one chapter that, have, that has even the pro heroes are, like, the faculty. So you get to hear, like, their banter between each other, like, the interaction between the, the faculty. Because even to the point that we're talking about what would you do, like, in a hostage situation and stuff. And so you're, like, bouncing ideas off each other. So you get to see that little bit of the faculty interaction. Definitely My Hero Academia has become one of the... Most revered ma- uh, anim- mangas and animes right now in the West. Um, it's up there with like Dragon Ball and Naruto right now. When it comes and Bleach, so it's one of the top ones up there. But definitely, um, if you're following My Hero Academia, definitely check out episode 86. I have to give it a five out of five for presentation and the plot and, like I said, the performance. The musical performance is great. I recommend that. So that's all I got for anime. So let's get back to regular news. What you got, Biko? Um. I just more uh, more COVID stuff in the sense that God, it's just more and more depressing shit. So now <laughs> private charter airline things are trying to get into with with the airlines bailout. To um, they're trying to pitch to get private privately funded uh, air companies. So these are people who drive private planes. So I'm assuming the pilots themselves want to apply for that because I'm sure I'm, I'm assuming they're contract workers as opposed to unless they're employed by a private airline which mm-hmm. I have no idea how they're funded that's what they're going for so even they're trying to get on the bailout uh, which is wrong it just it, oh, it makes me pissed like it's hard to look forward to anything because a lot of shit's just getting cancelled or pushed back um I saw that Disney Plus is kind of like uh, somebody started on on Reddit, like, a, a, just some, a general, like, co- casual conversation on Disney+, Plus, as far as what people kept, who kept 
their Disney Plus plan, who deleted it already, and the reasons why they didn't keep it. I still, um, we still have it. Right. Well, I that's that's not pertaining to us. It's just pertaining to. Huh? What? That's what I can do. Oh. Sorry, just, guys. We're drinking coffee, oh, and fine. it's like leaving it's, like it's, a little uh, ring. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is like, yeah, we yeah. we have it, but um, pertaining to the other people, because like, frankly, I don't. Um, a lot of the, a lot of the consensus I saw, at least, uh, not not necessarily like the same reasons why people kept it, mm-hmm. but one of the major reasons which I agree is that like, outside of outside of the Mandalorian, and if you want to see things that Jeff Goldblum narrates about that he's learning too, that's fine and dandy. There's a couple other things, but like. They, I think they relied heavily on a nostalgia train carrying themselves, and I know that they didn't predict this to happen, but I think this <laughs> this virus would hopefully show the Disney executives that they're like I don't know, like a lot of the material is very much lacking. I, for one, if I if I was giving given like a free trial run of Disney Plus for like a three months, like Apple did with their music, mm-hmm. I would do it and then not sign up. Because frankly, the Mandalorian was a quick watch. If considering that they they were able to extend it, releasing it week by week like an old standard TV used to do. Yeah. Um. If they didn't do that, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised. I probably would have saw. The probably would have been a decrease. It would be an increase in and like. If it hasn't happened already, which it probably has. Um. And and with even with them pushing shit back, I think them releasing Disney Plus. The t- at the time that they did was a mistake because mm-hmm. not everything else wasn't ready. Yeah, okay. I all think because all the licensing, scary. all the licensing stuff they had with like Netflix and stuff, that's the one thing to kind of hold them back to. But that, but that's what I'm saying is that like without knowing knowing that they already had that shit locked up, it, it would have given them more reason to not release everything just yet. They could have mm-hmm. just. Because either way, they were still leaning hard on the nostalgic factor. 80% of their content on there is just shit they've already put out years ago that you want to show your kids now that you're grown. Or vice, or shit that you haven't seen in years that you want to watch again. But it's like, I don't... That, none of that stuff lasts. Like, I, I'm, I'm guilty of revisiting and re-watching shit. But I'm not re-watching shit when I was like 10 years old. I'm, I'm re-watching stuff that I saw... In my developmental years, I'm watching shit that, like, I generally could see myself watching five more years on the line as opposed to something I watched when I was nine. That, like, looking at it from an outside lens, it just doesn't, like, the Disney nostalgic train doesn't amuse me. Like, One thing. As, as well as other people are getting amused. Yeah, I kind of agree because with the whole nostalgia thing. But to me, when they say, oh, Disney Plus is going to this content, it did not, like, the only thing I kind of, like, drove people was, the, was yeah, they got the old Disney animated features on there. The one thing, because I grew up, you know, watching the old Mickey Mouse shorts, and what kind of disappointed me is, they don't have a lot of his shorts on there. They only have, like, a certain select few, which I was kind of disappointed to the fact that, how come, you know, years back on DVD, they released the Mickey Mouse black and white collection, and in color. I was fortunate enough to get the color volumes, but the black and white ones are so hard to find. It's like you gotta go through resellers, and resellers are selling it for a hundred bucks because Disney already printed, reprinted a certain amount of them. Because we even had Leonard Moulton, who's one of the most you know revered and revered movie film critics. He did the intros for the DVD collections. It was cool because they had every single Mickey Mouse short 
on the disc collection. That was kind of cool. They did that for Mickey, they did it for Donald, they did it for Goofy. And the problem was, that went past by me because, you know, luckily I was able to find them. I found them in Mexico at a, you know, legit, at a mall in Mexico. They even had it in the DVD section. I was lucky to find it. But the hard, the only thing that, that kind of looted was the old black and white shorts. And they only have a few, which is like, you have access to these shorts, Disney. Why not release all the whole collection in the vault? You have room for it. And the one thing, too, like DuckTales, they were missing a few episodes. Um, and the episode orders are kind of whack. With the X-Men, that was cool. They had it, but the episodes are so out of order. And they and like people had to fix that. And I mean, the big draw, too, is like they got the last season of Clone Wars is on there as well. See, but they're releasing it weekly as well. That was kind of cool. They brought back Clone Wars for one more season just to... Bridge the gap between, you know, Clone Wars and Episode 3. So it's kind of cool they brought that back. And of course, you know, a lot of the shows they got right now, like Falcon and Wizard, they're not coming out until later this year. But it's like, what else can Disney do to keep, you know, viewers in? It's like Mandalorian will be out to what, later this year? Um, Jack Lumen will be out to later this year. So you still have the months. And plus, we you know, with a lot of productions either shut down, delay. That's going to hurt more in the long run because now we have to wait until they get the all clear to start filming again, get all the cast and crew back together. It's going to be more of like a rush job to try to get like everything back to normal. Um, I mean, it's not just, you know, like Netflix productions, you know, Amazon's productions and Disney productions, also anime as well because a lot of animes got pushed back to the summer that were going to originally release like in April. But due to production, they had to slow down. So it's like, like with Disney, it's like, yeah, it's not just the only thing that kind of hurts me. They didn't add House of Miles, which was another like Disney thing, but it was cool because you had all the Disney characters interacting with you know the main cast. But it showed like different shorts, like the current shorts, like the Mickey Mouse shorts. But it's cool to get the Mickey Mouse ones that the current Mickey Mouse ones that Paul Rudish, uh, Paul Rudish helped you know create. It was like kind of like a throwback to Mickey, but it was more like a with a little twist. But it's cool they had those, but those can last you through so much. And, of course, you know, they don't have, like I said, they don't have a lot of the shorts, which kind of, like, irked me. And then, of course, you know, they're adding a little of the Fox Family stuff. So, like, it's kind of cool they added that. But still, they had, they, it's, what thing is kind of, they're losing is the fact they're not having enough content. Because a lot of the stuff they have are licensed to, like, Netflix or Amazon are licensed. So, that the wait till those license expires to get that stuff over. Like, they barely but got they, Black Panther over, and Black Panther was so far was on, you know, right, Netflix. Right, I still don't think that would have mattered, though, because the fact, like, you're still, you're still starting up and you stream, you're, you're trying to pull away people from those two streaming services that have already become a habit. Like, you're right, they're, they're with contracts and stuff, but that's, that's what I'm saying, for some, a company as big as them to do something that is so prematurely like that is just kind of, it, it's just not, when you start off the gate as this behemoth of a media company, and then you go into the streaming game where you have no leverage on, you're only leveraging the fact that you have, like you mentioned, this vault of shit. That they have not released. they have not released, and they don't give you much incentive. Which would have been a perfect platform to be like, hey, with Disney+, Plus, you're going to have access to all this crap. That way you don't have to go and buy each individual collection, which they want you to do regardless, which you probably will anyways. If you already like the content that much, people were doing it with VHS tapes. It's not like you didn't have to go to the theater to watch Aladdin. Seven the funny thing is, I was watching. It's speaking of the VHS, the Disney VHS, I was watching this thing. Definitely, I recommend it. Um, there's a DVD channel called Yesterworld, and they I was watching this last night, and they had, they had a thing that the guy did a the, the, the guy did a uh, 
like kind of like a news, like kind of like a little mean documentary on the whole Disney re-releases and the Disney in the infamous Disney Vault. It was kind of cool. He did his research and everything, and the whole story behind it, why you know Disney did what they did, and the whole home video market, how you know. Disney will, like, they had these animated features, but they did, like, every 10 years or 5 years, they did re-releases in theaters, but they didn't want to go into the home market, because they felt there wasn't enough revenue for the market, and of course, it was, like, the home video market was slowly evolving, you know, it was, like, you know, Betamax, VHS, you know, Laserdiscs, but Disney felt that at that time, there was no profit into it, they wanted people, because their animated features, they wanted to go to the theaters, Definitely, definitely check that out. It's on the Yester World. Definitely check that out. It's called, like I said, it's about the Disney. And it's like, yeah, it's like the home video market kind of. Because I remember my mom was like, you know, she did us a favor. She got a lot of those Disney classics on, you know. And finally, that's what Disney did. Like, they're like, oh, buy this for a certain time before it goes back into the vault. Mm-hmm. So it kind of like drew like consumers like, hey, I need to get this. It's like on demand. But man, I was looking back in those prices for those movies were expensive. They're like 30 bucks, dude. Compared to now where it's like, what, 15 or 20 bucks if you buy it digitally? But, like, back then, like, 30 bucks for a VHS was crazy. And, like, even, like, VHS players were, like, I saw, like, he had, like, articles and stuff, like, with the first VHSs. They're almost, like, a 1000 bucks, dude. Like, 900 bucks, dude. And my folks had one. Like, like I think that was, like, the old, they had the old school VHS, and that was, like, one of the first ones they bought. It was, they told me, like, it was, like, 800 bucks. It was, like, oh, wow. So, it's, like... Yeah, but like I said, that's like, you know, like you said, that's one thing that's drawing a lot of people is, yeah, now that Mandalorian's not around, it's like, it's like, what incentive can they, you know, keep them no, tied like, in? Yeah, like, only one, half of the original shit they have on there isn't even that good. Like, that's just not, there's nothing that's exciting. Like, you're not going to hold people in with a Glee type of show, uh, the original series on a movie that was 10 years ago, and then... The Mandalorian being the more original of the bunch, and that, and that holding up because you have the talent behind it, and it's Star Wars. People are gonna not. People are. If Star Wars is big enough that will, somebody's gonna watch it, and then the Goldblum show. If you're a fan of Jeff Goldblum, then you're gonna watch it. But if you're not into shows like that, the documentary type of shows where they they show you different types of things and culture and whatnot, then it's like you're not gonna stick around. Like not. I don't know. There's only so many times you can watch. Uh, Moana and, and The Incredibles and Toy Story like until so that shit wears out like unless you have kids that I can imagine half of those people would not watch that stuff if they if they didn't have a kid um there's one thing I, I just saw right now um IGN did the they did like a 25 best Disney animations but I want to save that to after the break and we could do that for the last second part of our episode um one thing I, so before we take our break um there's one thing I want to mention. Um, they announced today. Um, Asterix um, co-creator Albert Urdezo dies at 92 years old. Um, Asterix was like, um, let me pull up a picture because I know that many people are familiar with the with the comic. It was a French um, Belgian comic. It was a comic magazine series. I remember my old Sega magazine. They actually did a video game based on the of the characters itself. Let me pull up an image of them. Here we go, found it. Um, pretty much, um, it's called, let me first talk about the creator itself. This is one of the co-creators. Um, this is from CBR, comicresearch.com. Um, this is, article was written by Adrian Patterson. It was published on today. Um, the comics world has lost a giant as Asterisk co-creator and illustrator Alberto 
Albert Ruderzo has died at 92 years old. He passed away in the night between March 29 and 24, his home in New Louis, France. Um, pretty much this here, with the COVID-19 pandemic claimed the lives of many senior citizens. His family clarified his death was due to a heart attack and not to disease. Um, pretty much, uh, this said right here, according to his family, um, his son-in-law, Bernardo Josie Sol, um, AFP. Albert Ruderzo died to sleep at his home in New Louis from a heart attack on the way to coronavirus. He's been very tired for several weeks. Um, the iconic French character was the character he helped co-create was Bertha Ruderzo's friend, writer René Goscinny sat on the balcony to think of a character for a French children's magazine in 1959. From that session, their famous stories about the adventures of the Gaulish warriors fighting the default Roman Empire were born. Because remember, France back then, during the Roman Empire, was Gaul. They weren't called France. <laughs> so, um, pretty much, you know... And of course, it's called co-creator passed away in 1977, but he kept going on. He took over as main writer and artist. Um, and it says here, um, right now, it's the, the series currently right now is now written by John Gears Ferry and illustrated by David Conrad as one of the latest Tom Masters and the Chief Dead Star was released in October 2019. But to get the plot of what the comic book series is, um, basically, it's a, it's a, like I said, it's a French show. This is here. Here's the plot line of the introduction. Um, this is taken from the, the comic itself. The year is 50 BC. Gaul is entirely occupied by the Romans. While not entirely, one small village in Domino Gaul still holds out against the invaders. And life is not easy for Roman leg legionnaires who, gar who, garrison, who garrison the fortified camps of Tolerum, Aquarium, Latium, and Combinium. So it follows like, these two characters, um, Asterix and his friend Obelix. Um... So pretty much, um, they're pretty much they have many adventures where they're trying to fight against the Roman oppression, basically. And I've seen those characters before. They they are up there with pop culture. I remember they did like I forgot what game. There was a game that was made made for like the Genesis, based on these characters. So when I saw the picture, I'm like, oh, I know who these characters are. But I never read the comics, but I heard the comics are really funny and stuff. And of course, the series is still going on. I think they're releasing them in different volumes and stuff right now. But they they have a lot like. Like I said, it started like in 59, but it was collected from 61 up to 2018 is the most um, recent one. But it's kind of cool. And they have, um, so like I said, it's something that definitely I recommend if you guys want to read it. It's like, you know, you talk about the Roman Empire, but it's kind of like an ethical humor about it from a different perspective. So that's something I wanted to pull up. So um, we're going to go ahead and take our break. Make sure to listen to our ad and we come back we'll talk about the 25 best Disney animation films as selected by IGN, so don't go away. Hey, it's the franchise from Talking Pop with the franchise of Biko. Just let you know, we have a storefront. It's teespring.com slash Pop. We got shirts. We got tank tops for men, women, kids. We also got hoodies and sweatshirts. Um, we actually have coffee mugs, and we have an iPhone case and a Samsung case with the Popstronaut logo on there. Also, we have stickers, so you can put on your locker, on your laptop, whatever you want to put those stickers on there. So right now, if you go to teespring.com slash TalkingPop, and when you go to check out, use the promo code TalkPop and save $5 on your order. Support the podcast. As always, geek on and take care. Alright guys, um, we're back. Um, this is for the last part of this episode, I'll just pop these before we let you guys go for today. Um, the IGN published, you know, trying to find something lighthearted. They published what they felt are the 25 best 
Disney animation movies ever. So we're going to go through the list and pretty much give our commentary to see if we agree with them or not. So you ready, Biko? Yep. All right, here we go. So for number 25 will be Cinderella. So Cinderella, the animation film, Cinderella. Um, this is what their commentary is. I'm going to read from IGN, so I am quoting IGN. This is what they said, and we'll give our opinions. It says here, though not the first adaptation or retelling of the famous fairy tale which origins back to the Greek start from first century BC, Disney's 1950 box office smash, um, Cinderella is truly iconic. It's one of the biggest risks of Walt Disney's career. Cinderella will pay off big time, becoming the most successful film since Snow White and helping to save Disney animation after a stirring of underperforming films that saddled the studio with a $4 million, $4 million debt. With a tighter budget that forced filmmakers to shoot live action first, Cinderella will overcome numerous obstacles delighting moviegoers. With numerous obstacles, delightful movie um, with imaginative art, glowing colors, mischievous humor, remember songs such as our dream is your wish your heart makes, baby Bobby Boo, etc., and endearing rags to a story about unjust oppression tri- for triumphant. We call it triumphant. Traffic reward. The glass of pretty fairy godmother, Jacques and Gus, Cinderella is a parade of magic moments. So, what do you think of that being at number 25? Cinderella? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I'm surprised it's 25. Well, I guess it's considered their top animated ones. Uh, I, I, I thought it'd be higher. If they're doing 25 being the lowest and one being the highest. I'm guessing it'd be I higher. thought it'd be top 10. But, uh, yeah, I'm not terribly mad about it. Cinderella is a classic. Um, the story is pretty simple. It's still getting used today. I, I even saw it in like a Russian pop music video. They used the Cinderella. Uh, and it's actually a really funny video. Like they kind of reversed the roles, but it's still, eh, it's a little fat shaming a bit if you're, if you're sensitive like that, but it's, mm-hmm. it's not bad. It, it's, it, the concept's still being used to this day, the glass shoe. And, and it's an old story that I, uh, it's, it's gotten the live action treatment. Has it, has it gotten a live action treatment yet? Yeah, there was a live action treatment last season. Um, it was like a few years back. It got they did get a, like a cinema. They did get like a Disney did do a live action version. Yeah, if I'm mistaken, yeah, they did that. I mean, for me, it was like well, it's one of those films. Like I remember as a kid, you know, I saw it at one well, of my cousin, like our cousin's house, probably they had a copy of the film, so I never got into it. But I remember the story and everything about it, and you know, it was not bad. I mean, I think my favorite characters were the two mice, <laughs> Jacques and Gus, because they were my favorites. So I was more tied to them versus the main plot. But you know, you know, boys and boys and girls and girls. And girls but that was a, that's a good film. I like the animation quality. You know, as far as we're and, you know having to shoot, yeah, because Disney was when it comes to like referencing and stuff, just to get those sequences. Yeah, I had to shoot in live action just to get, just for referencing. Just to get the movements. So they had to do, like, you know, a lot of animation, or especially with the dancing. I believe they said they had to film that sequence just to get the, 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 the way to make the characters move, like, naturally and flow naturally. So that Disney did have that where they had to do, like, a lot of live action, like, sequences at the first, and then animate it afterwards. So 25, maybe, yeah. I would say, compared to the films... On this list, we'll see why it was at 25, so... Okay, the next one, number 24, is Alice in Wonderland. Um, this is what IGN wrote. 
Alice in Wonderland. Based on the surreal, big Victorian era novels by Lewis Carroll, 1951's Alice in Wonderland wasn't received well by critics when it was first released, but has since been hailed as a triumph of animation far ahead of its time. With bold and vibrant colors, trippy characters voiced by luminaries like Sterling Holloway and Ed Wynn, and an abstract adventure that attracted the, the 60s cult counterculture some years later. Alice in Wonderland has become a somewhat subversive cult classic among the Disney canon. Combine the current books, Alice Adventures in Wonderland, through the looking glass, this fun and flashy film utilized artist Mary Blair to create a narrative full of popping wonders and dreamlike oddities. Alice in Wonderland, I kind of saw this film more, Alice in Wonderland, because they, Jesus, they always show this film a lot. And, of course, you know, the Mad Hatter and... Random Man Hatter is one of the most iconic characters from there. And, of course, Cheshire Cat. Sterling Holloway did the voice of Cheshire Cat. Um, and, of course, Alice in Wonderland. Um, you know, the same thing, too. Um, they did it. Like, they even had the same voice actress who of Alice. She did the live-action reference scenes. So, she was the model for the Alice character. So, um, what do you take on Alice in Wonderland? Um, another classic. I, I'm not going to not like... I, I, Alice in Wonderland is one of my favorites, but um, I'm surprised that's not even in the top ten either. Uh, I mean, we saw the live-action one that they redid with Tim Burton, and the original cartoon they did too back in the day, and it's still, I think it still holds up because it's a pretty simple story. Um, and like those characters, like the the, the, characters the, the are, queen, and the yeah, queen of hearts, um, and of course they make an appearance in Kingdom Hearts, so it's like, same thing with Cinderella, so... You to see, and it was kind of cool. They had the same original voice actors reprise her roles as Alice in Kingdom Hearts One, so it's kind of cool to get to see them the interaction between her with the with Sora, Donald, Goofy. So it's kind of cool seeing her, and of course the Cheshire Cat and the Mad Hatter dude. That's kind of funny. Always time for tea. <laughs> it's like definitely. Yeah, I don't know why they had a twenty-four. Like you said, it could have been like the top ten. This is a little Disney classic. And it was one of those films where, you know, back in the day, you know, when it comes to video releases, it's one of those hard films to get. Yeah, I'm surprised. I'm so surprised. We'll, we'll see what the next one is. Um, number 23, The Princess and the, Fog, and the Frog. Lucy based on the story that in turn is Lucy based, like I said, IGN. Quoting IGN, guys. It's Lucy based on the British Grim fairy tale, The Frog Prince. Disney's The Princess and the Frog took the fairy tale out of Europe and perfectly placed it in America in the 1920s New Orleans. Be specific, taking cues from studio classics like Lady the Tramp and Bambi, 2009's The Princess and the Frog would dip its toe into the past as the first Disney film after a six-year break to, to be a traditional hand-drawn feature. It also look ahead to the future. However, as Anika Noni Rose's Tiana, a 19-year-old waitress who dreams of owning her own restaurant, will be the first ever black Disney princess. The film's old-fashioned bayou charm harkens back to the studio's golden era, helping it stand out during a time when anime features were riddled with pop culture gags and goofs. While the story enchants with smart and sweet swampland critters, evil voodoo sorcerers, and anxious themes. Yeah, um, I never saw much of Princess and the Frog. I know there was a lot of like marketing and hype because this, technically this was the last hand-drawn Disney animated feature because they were slow since the following year they ended up transitioning to more CG works. So this was uh, more digital animation. So, I mean, that was a cool concept, you know. They took that story to Frog Prince and just moved it to, like, you know, the, that New Orleans setting. And, I mean, 2009, you know, it's one of those, like, hit and miss. But I heard it was really good. I mean, the sequence is really great. And, of course, it introduced, you know, an African-American, you know, princess. Just to give, like, the princess life more of, like, a diverse type of feeling. And, I mean, uh, 
I would say they belong on the list. But I I never saw the film. I saw like I just saw like the trailers and the marketing for it, but I never got a chance to see the film in its entirety. So I don't know what your thoughts on it, Biko, because I don't know if you ever came across it. Princess and the Frog? Yeah. I've never seen it. Um I no, I've never seen it. Like I said, I don't know. I don't re I don't tend to revisit I don't know, Disney I have a weird relationship with Disney and the fact that I don't like to have a relationship with Disney. It's just like I, I'll jump in and dip my toes in, but they, it's <laughs> unpopular opinion. I don't think they are the end-all be-all for best, for quality of animation. I just think they're really good at what they do. Um, but I hear good things about Princess and the Frog. Uh, I, I heard it's a decent story. I think it just gets under undershadowed because of it's a different... Uh, different types of characters. The story's pretty typical, though, right? The, the frog prince story. Like I said, they, they, t- they take, like, the concept of it and just give it its own twist. Right, so... It, it, and I mean, think it's kind of like Shrek. It's not any different than... But I like for a fact that the the, the, the the girl's, like, the, the girl that's playing, you know, technically she's not a princess, so kind of, like... But she's someone, like, eventually... Like, the frog is probably is a prince or something, but, but, you know, she's, like, the main protagonist, basically. Like, it's a kind of like a reverse because she's not a damsel in distress or anything like that. Like, she's trying to overcome, you know, the struggles and stuff. You know, she has that dream, like, that goal to become, like, have her own restaurant, you know? So, it's like, and of course, you got voodooism, so it's kind of treating practice you know, the culture of voodooism and all that stuff. Because it's in New Orleans, you know, the Creole culture and everything like that. But, like I said, if it's on Disney Plus, may I'll check it out and see how it is. So, we'll go on to the next one, number 22. Okay, this is something that's familiar to me and you, possibly. Um, 22, they have Lady and the Tramp. And this is what um, this is what IGN said about it. With a sheer spaghetti string kiss that would become a landmark moment for every rom-com to follow, Lady and the Tramp was a massive hit for Disney back in 1955, a love story that still endures the test of time. Based on the antics of store developer Joe Grant's own English Springer Spaniel family, Combined with War Green's short story, Happy Dan, The Listening Dog, Lady and the Tramp created a mismatched magic set to songs created by pop singer Peggy Lee, who also voices one of the dogs. Oh. As the first animated feature film in the brand new at the time, Cinemascope, widescreen process, Lady and the Tramp captivated crowds with a story of the refined and proper lady falling for a streetwise mud-colored tramp. During production, Disney offices were filled with live animals for the animators to reference so that the tale could be told exclusively from the point of view of the animals. The story may not have the scale... Of the other Disney classics, but the simple charm and richly colored animation made it one of the best in the bunch. Um, yeah, I love I love this film. I enjoy this film. Number twenty two. I don't know why, but um, why is up number twenty two? But I enjoy the film. You know, like I said, the whole spaghetti thing has been referencing a lot in different movies and films. Like that particular moment has been, you know, parodied. I think the last time I saw a parody was in um, Hot Shots Part Two with Charlie Sheen and I forgot the girl that he's interacting with. And they do like a thing similar to Lady in the Tramp, so it's kind of like, it's been like, that thing's been overused. But it was a good film. Yeah, I mean, years later now, there's a sequence where, yeah, the whole stereotype, the Siamese cat singing sequence. Of course, Siamese cats, you know, they're filed by China or something, because they're a breed that's exclusive in China. But they had this one song, which, you know, by today's standards would be considered like, kind of like, you know, stereotypical, because it was the 1950s. Um... But the animation was good, you know. It was kind of a cool story concept, you know, tale from a, the animal's per- perspective versus a human perspective. And of course, you know, Disney Plus did a live-action version of it for Disney Plus itself. I had not seen it, but I heard it's, like, not bad for what it's worth. So, mm, I don't 
I mean, the songs were good. I actually liked the songs. Like I said, the animation sequences, you know, like I said, it's one of the first films that, you know, did it in widescreen. Versus the whole 4 by 3 format. So, I don't know, Biko, what would you say about Lady of Triumph? Uh, another classic. That, that's always... It's alright. I can't really complain. It's not something I watch. Go ahead. Sorry, I had to go to the bathroom. Alright, so looking at number 20 here, um, pretty much uh, number 20 is Sleeping Beauty. Um, wow, number 20. So, honestly, this is what IGN has said about it. It was the last of the classic anime fairy tales produced by Walt Disney himself. Um, of course, you know, Disney eventually, around a few years later, he passed away. Um, Sleeping Beauty was initially a disappointment in the box office, but has come to be recognized as one of the greatest and most beloved of the Disney's golden era. This is the studio at this most iconic with frolicking woodland creatures, a warbling princess, an evil sorceress, and a handsome prince on a majestic steed. Filled with the vibrant color, modern design, and the music based on the Tushusky ballet, it looks and sounds different than any of the films that came before. The meticulously hand-painted cells inspired by medieval art had a stylized look to them and a striking palette filled with usual, unusual combinations of violet green, okra, Indigo and fuchsia. The final climate battle between Prince Philip and Maleficent is the form of a gigantic dragon remains one of the most beautiful in 36 series uh, for anime. And I agree because honestly that fight, you know, was really cool, the stylized and the colors and the animation sequence. I remember seeing this film. Um I was in my cousin's house. She had a copy of it and you know and of course Maleficent is iconic, you know, she's one of the most recognizable Disney villains out there. Um of course, you got Princess Aurora as well. You know, they make, but Melissa becomes a prominent. She's become like the most famous of them, and to the point that it even spawned you know two live action films played by Angelina Jolie, and of course, Melissa becomes one of the main antagonists in the Kingdom Hearts video game series. Um, and honestly, you know, who could not not love the Dark Queen? So it's like, so so. so. Um, I mean, the, the color palette was really good. You know, there was kind of interesting sequences, like I said. Um, Something that, you know, if you have the opportunity, definitely check it out. I believe it's on Disney+. Plus. I know they said they put most of their films on the, uh, from the Disney Vault on there. So definitely check that out, Sleeping Beauty. I mean, like I said, it takes, you know, the classic story of Sleeping Beauty. But like I said, the, the homeless is turning into a dragon. It was really cool and everything. Like I said, that character, like I said, is one of those characters that became, you know, popular. You know, in mainstream today, you know, like I said, as you usually portray the character in two films as well and um and of course she, like I said Melissa became like the big um prominent you know figure in Kingdom Hearts you know she had her own motives you know she wanted to use the Heartlesses pretty much to take over the world basically to take over the many d different worlds so like I said you know I have not seen the the Maleficent live action films but I heard they're really good so Definitely, if you're a fan of Super Beauty, if you're a fan of definitely check those out. And so, uh, Biko, you have any thoughts on uh, Super Beauty at all? Uh, no, because I've maybe seen it once. Mother Willie was a fan. I thought it was kind of a boring story because it, it seemed like it was just like any of the other movies. I think uh, considering that Super Beauty was very similar to Snow White. It did the same thing just without the... Without the seven doors, similar story in the in the. Uh, but I don't know. I don't. I don't remember watching it more than once. Mm -hmm. It was just like, eh. I think it was just more of an older story that it just it wasn't. 
you can't really do much to it to change the interpretation or to show it, it, it you're being your own. I think the, the the best Disney could have done is just animate it, um, which was fine. I don't know. No, it was all right. All right, number 19, 101 Dalmatians. Oh, okay. Uh, one in the mo- this is IGN, guys. Like I said, every description I'm reading to you guys is from IGN. So I'm not plagiarizing or anything. I'm reading directly from what they said, what their opinion is. 101 Dimensions, one of the most witty and entertaining Disney films of all time. One of the most memorable villains in cinema history. The quasi-musical 101 Dimensions from 1961 gave audiences a scrappier, sketchier animation style thanks to the new Xerox technology and a modest budget compared to the predecessor Sleeping Beauty. Coupled with a fun family adventure about a litter of Dalmatian puppies who are kidnapped by wealthy, fashion-obsessed heiress who wants to use their fur to make into coats. It's the Barry Lou Gershon voice Corella DeVille in her renowned theme song that sealed the show. However, rumored had to be modeled rumored had to been modeled after Zsa Gabor. Corella's look, flair, and crazed cackle initially infused her into the ranks of the most malicious movie evil doers of all time. Though not a plush spectacle, 101 Dalmatians runs over with heart, humor, and um and he all dog magnity. This is what they wrote. Um, I love that film. Uh, like, number 19? Okay. I love the 101 Dalmatians, you know. I mean, Cruella Villas right now, she's one of the most iconic Disney villains. You know, she's up there with Maleficent. You know, Captain Hook. And, you know, she's up there, you know. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I uh, love the story, you know. It's crazy. I mean, honestly, I think the original puppies were only, like, 13 they had. But, of course, you know, they weren't the only ones. So that's why it was, like, 101 Dalmatians is because... They end up running into, you know, the puppies, you know, they get kidnapped and, you know, Pongo and Percy, you know, they're trying to find them. And it's kind of cool because it's like, they have the dogs talking, but, you know, when they're around the humans, they're just barking and stuff, so they don't understand them. And, of course, you know, they had their own. So it's like you get the, their perspective and, you know, and the humans' perspective. Like, yeah, you see the humans not that much. And, of course, the Corel DeVille song, oh, it's yeah. become synonymous with the film itself. Um, and the voice of Cruella at that time, you know, great performance by Bailey Gershon, you know, that voice and that cackle she does, you know, it's great, crazy. Um, and of course, like I said, the Dalmatians eventually, you know, they end up getting, joining another group of Dalmatians, so they weren't the only ones kidnapped. Um, but definitely because one of the, I think it was the, the wives worked with Cruella, so she was one of the, like the, like, I don't know, underling or assistant or something to Cruella at that time. And even spawned a live action film that was, oh, yeah. that was portrayed by, um, What's her name? By uh, Glenn Close. Glenn Close. Remember that film with Jeff Daniels? Uh, it was a live action film. That was funny too. I mean, it, it brought the same concept of you know, of the Harlem Dimension story, but with a, with a modern twist. Because at that time, you know, Jeff Daniels' character at the time in the film in the in the original animated film, he was a composer who did like jingles and stuff, or was a music writer. And here in the in the live action film, he was like more of a video game programmer. So they gave it more of a modern twist to it, but that's a good film in its own right as well. Um, like Glenn Close did a good portrayal of Cruella Deville, and it was a good live action version. Yeah, and, they made her. They even did her hair very nice. Like everything about it was really good. Like the costume designer and all that. It seemed pretty realistic, especially for the what was the nineteen ninety something that that. Yeah, was I was like the early ni- like late nineties or something that film it's came very out. Very late, so it's just like, oh look at that. <laughs> Sorry, and they just came across more COVID. News. We'll get to it once we get to this list. Closer to Illinois, but yeah, one hundred one Dalmatians is definitely something that uh, I think that did a good job in the live action portion of it. I remember we went to see it in theaters, but the animation one was really good too. Yeah, they're both good movies. That's definitely. I, I'm not so. 
That's definitely top 25 in there. I, I think it's better that it was placed higher than Sleeping Beauty, but yeah. All right, 19, okay, we'll go number 18, Tarzan. <laughs> it's number 18, guys. Um, Disney's rollicking 1999 adaptation of Tarzan of the Apes by Edgar Rice Burroughs capped off the studio's 90s win streak with an anime feast of sweeping 3D backgrounds using a thin new technique called deep canvas that allows CGI to resemble traditional painting. With a revolutionary visual flow and style that pushed down with the entire medium and Academy Award-winning music from Phil Collins for his two songs, You'll Be In My Heart, which won Best Original Song that year. Tarzan is a spirit-throwing spectacle featuring rich storytelling and colorful conceit art that put a new special spin on the much-told tale of a young man raised by gorillas in the jungles of Africa. That was a good film. I enjoyed Tarzan. I mean, the animation was really good. And, of course, yeah, it was like early CG testing. Especially in the sequences where like Tarzan's swinging around and everything, and of course you know I had Phil Collins composing the music, you know he had that kind of music and stuff, and you know um, I think we had the opportunity to see that in theaters when it first came out. So that's like I enjoyed the film as well. I mean there are some good song sequences, you know Phil Collins where "You'll Be in My Heart," um, Two Worlds" is another good song that that was a good one too. Um, like I said, he composed most of the music uh, of it. And of course you had uh, Minnie Driver as the voice of Jane. Then you had um, Rosie O'Donnell's voice of Turk, one of Cartagena's gorilla um, mates, uh, friends. So um, it was really good. And you get to see that character actually interact in Kingdom Hearts as well. It was kind of cool to act because it was one of those, like yeah, it was in 99. So it was like before the millennium started. So I don't know what you take on Tarzan. I thought it was like a good, happy film. Mm-hmm. And actually, I yeah, wanted like one of those creepy death scenes too. Oh yeah. Even though you don't see it, but it was pretty much implied, especially with the villain getting hanged and shit, <laughs> which is kind of creepy as hell. But what do you think? What do you think of Tarzan, dude? Oh yeah, it's good. I'm not surprised it's on there. Uh, that's a fun movie. It still holds up. Uh, that's one of my favorites, at least. But yeah, uh, nothing bad to say about it. All right. Even, even the music's fun. Alright, next, here's number 17, guys. Tangled. This innocent classic from the 2010 featured Disney's charming take on the German family tale, fairy tale Rapunzel, with the company Martin focus on general neutral tilting, as we see again in 2013's Frozen. Tangled to the story of a young princess with magical long hair, voiced by Manny Moore, who's held, who's held prisoner by a woman who uses the girl's innate powers to cheat death. With 3D art in, inspired by old cam, oil on canvas, rook, rook, no, I'm going to butcher this. Rococo-style paintings. Tangled was a compelling and complex mix of adventure and romance that brought together both modern and classic elements of Disney. Tangled, while wildly loved by fans, also holds a strange distinction of being the most expensive animated feature of all time thanks to the extremely long development process as there was extensive testing done for the animation process as was the company's first full-ever fully computer-animated film. Like I said, it was like their film after... Remember, Princess of the Fog was the last hand-drawn animation film, so the following year they had to come up with something else. Um, I remember seeing Tangle. I don't think I saw it in theaters, but I think when they played it on TV or something, or Disney played it a little bit, it was kind of cool because it kind of like... Rapunzel wasn't the, like the... Like, she wasn't like that person in distress. She can hold her own, and pretty much, you know... She wanted to explore the world. I mean, the... Uh, we get to see more of that story in Kingdom Hearts, but, you know, it was, like I said, it was Disney's gamble because, you know, they had Pixar. Pixar wasn't in their fold yet. Pixar was still independent. I don't know when Pixar joined Disney officially, but Disney, you know, it was like their first, you know, experimentation to do a, a full CG film. Because, you know, they always rely on Pixar to do a lot of the CG films, but this was Disney's first. I like the story. You know, it was kind of, you know, she was a princess and she was kidnapped. 
by this person who claims to be her mother, and he lock, she locks her in the tower to keep her in. Pretty much scares her to the point that go the outside world is dangerous and stuff. But promise she has that curiosity to go out there. And her ability, you know, she has the long hair, but her ability has the ability, almost like a fountain of youth type of thing. Mm-hmm. But all you brought up was she starts singing. And it glows, like, uh, if she shows emotion or stuff, it starts glowing. Oh. Because it's tied to her whole emotions. And then, of course, she runs into a person named Flynn Ryder, who's played by Zachary Levy. You know, Chuck. <laughs> so, and he plays in there, and you know, he's like a thief and stuff, and he ends up running across the tower, and, of course, he runs into Rapunzel, and, of course, um, she sees him as a means of escaping. You know, he's not a prince, so it's not the whole typical, oh, princess meets prince type of thing. So that kind of breaks the whole, you know, oh, like, princesses have to go with princess all the time. So even princess couldn't fall for something, like, common as Flint. Um, so it was kind of cool. So definitely check that out. Um, that was kind of cool when they added Tango into Kingdom Hearts 3. So they actually took a lot of that film. And actually it was kind of cool because they actually got the actors... From the film, to portray their characters in the game. So it was kind of cool because to see Sora, Donald Goofy, interact with, you know, Rapunzel. And she actually fights alongside with, also with Finn as well. So, and it took the whole story and it was so goofy done in the game. So definitely, I would see it being number 17. So what's, um, what do you have in what your take on Tangled? I've never seen Tangled. Um, and I'm not, um... I, I've heard I've only heard good things about Tangle. I've never seen it. I think it's more or less. Uh, I think she has a better. Uh, they make Rapunzel more a different type of princess mm-hmm. than their normal ones. Uh, they try to. I think she was like a combination of Princess Jasmine's like spunk, like determination. And... Yeah, the whole like I'm not. I'm just. I'm not just a princess or whatever. I can do more. Mm-hmm. And, um, and not like a damsel distress or anything. Yeah. So, uh, I, not that they flipped the script on that because it's been done before. I think they did a better job of not just making her seem like the guy has to come and save her all the time. It was more or less like, oh, she, she was trying that, to escape. She knew that the world outside wasn't crazy. She just. She was curious. She was, yeah, her family were just assholes. So they just. Like her, her so called mother was. Um, who so kind of wasn't her mother later they on. Made her, they made her into like. I mean, they were, Disney was only going towards this angle and then. We, I'm sure it's on the list on here too, but Brave, like they ended up moving towards that realm because then Pixar started capturing that where they had more um, female characters. It's written, the same thing like Studio Ghibli. a lot better than they did. It's like um, Studio Ghibli films. Um, a lot of the films have a strong female. Per- like it's the same thing with Studio Ghibli, you know, because they have a lot of strong female characters that the show they're not like. They get put like they get this obstacle, but they show like the determination and the grit to overcome it. Um, so yeah, the Tangle kind of breaks kind of like that mold, kind of breaks that mold. And like I said, it was Disney's first test into a full CG movie. Um, number sixteen, I think we're both familiar with this film. And that, friends, was the longest meow by our buddy Elf. <laughs> so number seventeen, number sixteen, guys. Is a film that both me and Biko are more familiar with. The Emperor's New Groove. Um, Emperor's New Groove. More of an out, an out comedy than the most Disney offerings. And coming on the heels of Disney's 90s resurgence. 2000's The Emperor's New Groove was a slight detour for the more traditional studio fare. In favor of slapstick driven mismatched buddy adventure. Featuring a more markedly Chuck Jones cartoonish animation style. Featuring the voices of David Spade, John Goodman and Patrick Warburton. New Groove is a redemption tale centered on an arrogant teenage Incan emperor named Cusco who is transformed into a llama by his ex-advisor 
the roller coaster production of the film, which began as a more mature traditional Disney story called Kingdom of the Sun, featuring six songs by Sting, solved the entire project. Saw the entire project uh, change, packaging a switched tone after the box office disappointments of both Pocahontas and The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Though New Groove is purposely less grand and epic than the most of Disney's offerings, it's still a hearty and hip hero's journey filled with unabashedness and nonsense. Yeah, I remember there was a little thing about that. You know, the production back then was different. It was called uh, Kingdom of the Sun. It was about the Incas. So this was like a new original take of the Incas, but yeah, that was the original title. I saw, I think I saw something about it and how it changed production. It was supposed to be more serious tone, but eventually it changed. And I like that because the problem is those characters use a lot of memes. Yeah. Like especially Pacha, who's supposed to be John Goodman. Um, of course, Patrick Warburton is Kronk. That's kind of hilarious. Third poison for Cusco. Cusco's poison, right. And of course, David Spade is Cusco. Who could imagine having him? Portraying the arrogant, you know, prince. Um, the one thing I do forget that I do kind of upset that uh, people don't re- like. I said the IGN didn't mention Eartha Kitt was the voice of Isla, and who could I imagine? That's one of her last. That's one of her last roles, basically. Um, Eartha Kitt, you know, that was her, one of her last roles, and of course, you know, if you guys don't know who she is, great stage actress, great you know type of actress. She was on one of the Catwoman from the Batman sixty series. She had that great sultry voice. But I'm surprised they didn't mention her on here. And, you know, she did a good job as Yzma. It was one of her last roles, you know, before she passed away. I think she... And also, also this one of the films actually spawned, like, a TV series called Emperor's New School or something. Where it shows, like, Cusco having going to school or something. And I think Earth the Kid still did the voice of Yzma at that time. And it actually spawned off a spin-off film called Kronk's You uh, Groove or something. Which focused on Kronk. Because Kronk became a famous character. with Patrick Warburton's like, you know, his, his voice style and everything. And like I said, they used Pasha in so many memes. So it's like, they took a lot of scenes from Everton's group and it's become one of those like meme generation things. So, uh, and the music for Sting. I mean, it has some memorable songs. And like Sting did the music for it. Mm. So I don't know what your take on that, Biko, of uh, Everton's group. No, oh, I know. I've always liked this movie a lot. Uh... It's definitely more a lot different than what Disney was doing, uh, but I think this was good that they were telling different stories that didn't just revolve around anything that's happened in the Nordic, in the Nordic region. They actually went to South America, so I think this was really cool. Well, we, I guess besides the like, it was like an original film. Besides the use of the Amazon, but like other than that, it was really cool. Um, I think what really helped the movie was the performances by the the actors. Um, and the casting, if they didn't cast it like that, I don't think it would have held the no, same. No, I don't think it would have held but it. But it, it was, I mean, considering that it's not that, it's a pretty simple story, <clears throat> uh, but the way it's fleshed out, it's one of those movies that the journey was was more important than the destination was. Uh, and that story told it very well, and I think it was good. And Cusco is, they're all... Yeah, he's an arrogant, you know, like an arrogant prick, pretty much. But yeah, they're all just... He's actually going through this hardship. He gets turned in Lamba, running into someone named Pacha. It became more like a development for him because he suddenly realized that, hey, he's not important all the time. There's other people that are more important, less fortunate, or more simple-minded. And Pacha kept his cool and everything, you know. And like I said, it's it's a good story. I definitely got to check that out again. I think it's on Disney+. Plus. There's a This is a film that, number 15 is a film I recently saw on Disney+. Plus. Robin Hood. You think, oh, Robin Hood, talk about the old tales of Robin Hood. No, there's been live-action versions of Robin Hood, Robin Hood Man in Tights. Um, the one with Kevin Costner. 
Um, but this one was the anime film Robin Hood using anthropomorphic animals to tell the legend of Robin Hood. This offbeat oddball gem from 1973 featured acclaimed folksy songs in a Butch and Sundance buddy movie tone that helped it become, at the time, Disney's highest grossing film to date. Robin Hood takes some knocks because it features some recycled bits of animation as low-key conventional charms way different from the Magic Showcase in our company classes, but sometimes simpler designs and humbler approaches make, make for the most beloved stories. Yeah, because at the time, you know, when Disney saved money, they had to reuse animated sequences for certain scenes. Um, like Little John, it's obviously Baloo from Jungle Book, but I love the song. I love the song, the story and everything they had. Like, even the song, Odi Day, was one of those memorable songs. But I, I recently watched Robin Hood. I enjoyed it. And yeah, there's some sequences that if you've seen it and you've seen the other films... Like, Disney Animation at the time, you know, to save money, they had to reuse old animated sequences, which they had to sell. So they just redid it over them, just to save money and time and stuff. Uh, I don't know if you've seen Robin Hood Biko, but I, I enjoyed it. It's on Disney+, Plus. I know that. Uh, not forever. Uh, I don't remember seeing it, even when I was a kid. Because Robin Hood, same thing. Robin Hood, Rich, and it's a, it, it, it's a story that you... But it's really funny, though, can. because those are animals, so it's kind of... It's it's funny. Right. And of course, with Little John, with uh, King... Uh, what's his name? And then they got Pat Buntram as the sheriff in Nottingham. Pat Buntram, remember, he has that one voice. I'll tell you something, partner. And that, he, he did a lot of voiceover for Disney at that time. Um, Westerns. Um, he was Cactus Jake from Garfield and Friends. He actually was in Back to the Future 3. He was one of the guys in the saloon. He reacts with Marty. Why are you going in there, silly slicker? But he had that 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 voice. But that plays on in the course of the king. Mommy! <laughs> like, you know, he's at the suck of his thumb and stuff. Um, number 14, Dumbo. It's uh, number 14. Um, this is IGN's commentary. Despite World War II spelling out box office doom for most of the Disney films in the 40s, the classic Dumbo from 1941 was just purposely designed to be a short and bare-bones simple Managed to be the most successful picture for the studio in that decade. At 64 minutes, Dumbo was a pleasant, straightforward alternative to the ambition of Fantasia from the previous year. Though modest in delivery, Dumbo bought a lowly circus self and that constantly and cruelly ridiculed for having comically oversized ears, stands the most precious and endearing animated films of all time. With simpler animation than its predecessors and watercolor backgrounds, Dumbo is a small story that delivers a giant-sized emotional punch, Teaching us that while we all might yearn to be like everybody else, it's our differences that may define us and makes us special. Um, yeah, Dumbo, I've never seen it. Of course, it's famous for that pink elephant sequence. When Dumbo, you can tell he got drunk, but, um, he had the pink elephant. But of course, you know, it's got a lot of criticism and, you know, because of the, the crows. And basically the crows are portrayed in the stereotypical African-American stereotypes, the way their dialect and everything. Everything you could tell they were portraying, you know, African Americans and the way their speech and stuff at that time. But like I said, it was in the forties. But it's crazy that it's on Disney Plus and they did do a disclaimer saying, you know, this is this is how it was portrayed at this time. Not showing it is pretty much hiding the stereotype. But yeah, I mean it was a great film. Like the the backgrounds were watercolor based and it was like honestly it was one of the most shortest on animated features. Sixty four minutes. Right, that was a cool. short film. That was a short film. Compared to a minute and a half. So, I mean, what I remember Dumbo uh, was, of course, you know, the pink elephant sequence and the song and everything. And, of course, the crows. But, I don't know. What was your take on Dumbo? The whole movie? Yeah. It was fine. Those aren't the only two parts. I mean, yeah, it has its... It's controversial because looking at it from the lens of these present times, it's terrible what they're doing. 
Um, but Disney's been doing this since its culmination. They were not the only studio. A lot they, of studios. They, all, everyone was doing it at that time, and obviously things not have not changed. showing it is saying that they never happened. Um, animations had has changed for the most part, but uh, we still see this things being held up in other aspects. So, uh, uh, the movie itself is fine. Yeah, very very quick. Uh, it's a different type of tone as far as Dumbo is concerned, because a lot of it's pretty much in a darker tone. It's very sad because it's like. He's just a, a random elephant with, that can fly, and he's getting bullied everywhere. And it's just he, he's it's it's one of those trying to find a place to belong type of stories. It's just mm-hmm. with an elephant. And then Tim Burton had the opportunity to do a live action version. Yeah, so I mean, Disney has this thing when they were just tossing their more like more I guess you could say serious tone type of movies to Tim Burton. So it, it, the darker type of things they don't want to they don't tend to stick with it too long. Uh, but Dumbo is definitely one of those movies that was experimental in its time. Um, it, 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 it tried to capture the circus environment, but it's all right. I, I definitely placed it higher on there too. So I'm not surprised. It's all right. Number 13, Pinocchio. This is the finding anime feature based on Italian children's novel, The Adventures of Pinocchio by Carlo Coldini was hailed by critics as a billion master follow-up to Snow White. Audiences disagreed, however, and the studio's second outing was nothing short of a box office disaster when it was released in 1940. Pinocchio will get re-released a few years later and recoup most of its losses, only then becoming the pop culture phenomenon we know it is today. Basically, it follows a classic story of a wooden puppet boy named Pinocchio brought to life by a blue fairy and out to earn permanent humanity by being brave, truthful, and unselfish and largely considered to be the apex of animation, Disney or other. With a smart Alex silliness and sinister scariness along with a nose that grows with each lie and a singing conscious cricket named Jimmy, the Oscar-winning Wish Upon a Star, is still the most associated song with Disney. Pinocchio is a briefly crafted saga. I love Pinocchio. It was a good story. And, of course, you know, Jimmy Cricket with that famous song that's become synonymous with Disney. And, honestly, you can hear that theme, even in the current sequences now. You can actually hear it in the, in the background when Disney opens their films. It's become pretty much like the theme song of Disney. And the animation at the time was really good. Um, like I said, it's based on the Italian story of Pinocchio. Um, and, of course, like I said, it's his um, struggle. The, he goes through the whole temptations. You know, he starts lying. At one point, he gets, like, hanging out with the wrong crowd. You know, Jimmy tries his best to be his conscious, you know, guide him to the, the truth path and stuff. I would say this versus the, the original story. Because the original story of Pinocchio was more darker but the way the creator of the original Pinocchio, he was doing it as a way to scare children to, to, to stay in a straight path. Um, because in the darker tone of it, you know, Pinocchio was mean to Jimmy Cricket. When he kills Jimmy Cricket. Yeah. But here, you know, Disney and all, they try to make it more lighthearted. But it's like the struggle, you know. Because he's annoying as Cricket. That's why. <laughs> but like, I mean, you know, the, 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 the monster sequence and the course on, you know, Pinocchio... He starts telling lies, his nose starts growing, it was kind of funny, and of course he gets um, with this kid named Lampwick, where he goes to this this island thing, they start drinking and gambling and all that stuff, and of course they start turning to donkeys, because pretty much at that time, that's what they felt, that's what all bad kids become, you know, jackasses basically, like donkeys, and of course, you know, his father, but he goes to the Pleasure Island, and of course his dad, like his father's pilot, tries to find him, and he gets shipwrecked into the whale, swallows him up, and he tries, you know, Pinocchio has to go save his dad. And of course, you know, being he was able to save his dad and stuff, he was able to get his um and become human. So it's a good story, guys. Definitely recommend you guys see that. Um, number twelve, we have Bambi. 
Um, Bambi, it's strange that such sweet-sounding, playful work should be synonymous with a childhood trauma. The 1982's film's most memorable scene sees Bambi's mother murdered by man, and the young fawn desperately searching for her in the snow. It's the most sort of thing that stays with you, but Bambi is more than just that scene. It's a tale about the loss of innocence, but also about one growing up, accepting responsibilities, and finding out that while loved ones can be replaced, you can build a family of your own. And it's not all somber either. In Thumper, Disney created one of the most beloved comic characters. Unlike Disney's other movies era, Bambi doesn't feature magic or overly fantastical elements. The animation is delicate, more fable-like in quality, and all the more posing emotional for it. Yeah, Bambi was like one of the things at that time, you know, with that sequence, you know, where, you know, Bambi's mom gets killed and, you know, he's trying to find her. And it's kind of one of those, you know, it's like, basically, like you said, it, it teaches like, you know, our loved ones, you lose them, but like I said, it, it's like about overcoming that loss and, you know, persevering and, you know, growing up and, you know, starting a new generation. So definitely it's a story that you guys definitely need to check out. Something that I would say show your kids, you know, it's one of those films out there, definitely show Gives a lesson about it. I know it was like I think it was an MAX parody of it. <laughs> Did a parody episode of it where Slappy Squirrel took her nephew Skippy to go see. They call it Bumby, and how he reacted to when Bumby's mom got killed. <laughs> oh yeah. So that's something. This was a reaction. It was, it was like a death, you know. Yeah, it was. It's shown off screen, but you hear like the gunshot, but it's shown off screen. Like you don't see Bambi's mom actually get shot. But you hear the gunshot and Bambi, like Bambi finds her and, you know, she's dead. And we just assume that she's dead, yeah. So, um, I know we're running out of time here, but I don't know if you have anything to say Bambi before we move on. Oh, uh, no. Mom dies. Pretty typical story. Rabbit and deer become best friends. Typical. Okay, uh, number 11, The Jungle Book. Oh, yeah. It was the last film Walt Disney himself worked on before, you know, he passed away. Um... 1967's The Jungle Book, inspired by Nyarr Kipling's book of the same name, is a lively, hilarious romp following a 10-year-old boy named Mowgli raised in the Indian jungle by wolves. He navigates through an adventure with panthers, pythons, tigers, and a carefree bear named Blue. With delightful tunes by Robert and Richard Sherman, who wrote Mary Poppins in the Enchanted Tiki Room, and a sublime story that we see echoed a bit later in both The Lion King and Tarzan, Akuma Matai owns a great deal of superior necessities. The Jungle Book emits a funky, trippy vibe that helped it remain a family favorite for 50 years, even more than some of Disney's most famous prestige projects is a Blessed Blue Sky classic. Yeah, I mean, it was based, that's one of Disney's big take on the book, book series, um, by Ron Yard Kipling, um, and I remember seeing that film, and of course the characters would be used again in Tailspin. But, yeah, the Bare Necessity song, and of course we've seen the live-action version was created by John Favreau, he directed it, and they had, like, you know, there's the live-action film as well, and then I think Andy Serkis did one called Mowgli as well, but the, the Jungle Book by John Favreau was far more like the Disney version, but I liked it, I mean, it, it, there's good sequences in there, I mean, the animation was great at that time, like I said, it was one of the last ones that Walt Disney worked on before he passed away, um, of course you got the snake, you know, he hypnotizes people, and... Of course, Mowgli, you know, he was raised by, by wolves and stuff, and you see him interact with the different animals. And what I can think, too, it kind of talks about the class system at that time. Because, you know, King Louie is, like, the king, and the elephants had their own, like, you know, group and stuff. And, you know, it was all about the class system. And, you know, Blue being, you know, the carefree guy, bear, you know, doesn't, you know, care about what the world's thinking. You know, he just goes with the flow type of thing. Of course, you got Shere Khan, who's like the big tiger, who's like the big, kind of like a ruler type thing. Yeah. So, definitely something you should definitely check out. Um, number 10, Moana. It's number 10. Wow. Okay. Um, Moana, featuring song, songs by Lin-Manuel Miranda. 
And Apetala Foy, Moana's the most recent film on this list, released back in 2016, with lively and layered characters and all worthy 3D animation. Moana's an aspiring and ambitious addition to be the best Disney has to offer. It follows the story of Moana, the strong-willed daughter of a chief of a Polynesian villain who's chosen by the ocean itself to reunite a mystic relic with a goddess and one of the heart-in-hand heroes and calling for people to the world to embrace their family and community. Who else can resist Dwayne The Rock Johnson as the demigod Maui? Myths, mirth, and majestic musical numbers Moana has it all. Um, i never seen the film. I saw trailers for it. It looks good. And it kind of shows, like, it kind of, like, maybe Miranda, Miranda, you know, he wrote Hamilton and stuff, but, and honestly, it's one of those where she's the main protagonist, but she's not distressed. Like, she's determined. So it's kind of like Tangle, it's a strong female character. She's determined, she has a goal, and she has to overcome all these obstacles to make that goal. And of course, you got Dwayne Johnson playing Maui, and you can tell the characters inspired by Dwayne Johnson. And of course, it follows the Polynesian, you know, culture. So it's one of those films that I definitely would recommend seeing, and I can see why they put it in the top ten. Like, there's, there's some memorable songs from there, and it's been like a lot of kids love that film a lot, especially This Generation. It's one of those top films. Yeah, it's it's because it's new. It's newer, right? And yeah, a lot of people like the, the songs, and I think uh, it's more played. I think it has the same appeal as Lilo and Stitch does, even though it's they're both very sim- not very similar movies because they're both different. Uh, but I think the island culture in it is fairly similar because Lilo and Stitch is what Hawaii. Um, this is like the Polynesian islands, so. right? But I mean, Hawaii isn't that far from there, so it's just like it. it you could see the the influence on on uh, the way that Disney tries to set up their island thing. This one was more or less, yeah. They they centered around the culture in Moana being around the volcano and yeah. uh but yeah i i've never seen it but i only hear good things and it, that's probably one i should watch all right number nine hercules <laughs> hercules is definitely a film that's grown in already appreciation the year since it was released in 1997 the memes. of course the memes um the music basically there was a comic take on the 12 labors of hercules because you see the the different labors he does they always show it's honestly it takes the greek culture and just gives it like a t- upper tone like it says here it's based on the, the art style is based on English cartoonist Gerald Scrave Hercules features memorable songs inspired by screen villain now if I see her when her resistance to her being the classic dance under stress another strong character man she wants to feel under stress and of course you got James Woods as Hades so it's like and you got Danny DeVito as the trainer Phil <laughs> I mean, it was a good film. I liked it. You know, you had the sequences, like the musical sequences. It was more like a musical take on the on the Greek gods and stuff, Greek mythology. So they took a loosely base. They took some elements from the story of Hercules, but gave it more of a comical musical twist. I don't think I remember seeing it in film. I think I remember seeing it on TV when they showed it on TV, not like a theater. So I don't, can't really say. I know we're running out of time here, but. Um, what's your take on Hercules, dude? Before. Hercules? Uh, I liked the, the toys when it first came out more than I, the movie. Oh, uh, the movie's fine. Um, I think I like Danny DeVito's character because it, it's like staring Danny DeVito if he was animated, but li- like little horns. Um, the movie's entertaining. The The music's fun in that one. It was definitely like it, it captured uh, the transition into the millennial era. Uh, especially with Disney, um, I think this is like the probably the one of the first times. Uh, maybe not the first time, but they they 
went ahead and went into Greek mythology and they decided to... Because, like, a lot of them were princess movies leading up to it, right? The 90s had Pinocchio, they sprinkled that in, and then Tarzan came in after Hercules. So it's yeah. like they started using male protagonists yeah. this time around as opposed to just centering around females and then they went in the prince in the court round yeah. too. So it was nice that they were using um, pretty broad folk folk legends but uh, good enough to where people can still relate to them or knew a little bit about them as opposed to the Nordic folk tales or anything you see in Grimm's Tales. Like it wasn't like a latch back on it. It was... They were trying to tell different stories, and Hercules, it was a fun movie, the songs were fun. It was a lot more animated, and even with Hades being so... And yeah, Paul Schaefer's Hermes. You know, Obviously, yeah, like, yeah, Paul Schaefer's Hermes. Is, James Woods, man, come on. James Woods is Hades. It was, it was an interesting uh, movie, because it could have went either way, um, but they used Hercules, which was pretty fun. And he's used in Kingdom Hearts as well. And of course, on number eight is Frozen. Wow. Okay. Ugh. Yeah. Frozen, a glance, 2013's Frozen appears to be standard Disney fair. Fairy tale castles, beautiful princesses, family secrets, dashing princes, plucky sidekicks, but does much to play around with those elements, silvering expectations to a much more modern type of Disney story. I mean, there's not enough to say about Frozen, but. Oh but it's not just, you know, there's two princesses versus, you know, just the one. And of course, it talks about, you know, Elsa's struggle with controlling her powers. Um, it's her struggle, and then, you know, Anna, you know, her sister Anna, so she's like, Elsa's like the older sister, but, you know, she's the one that's isolated from her sister because she's afraid that she's gonna hurt somebody. And it's a good story, I mean, yeah, it's memorable for, like, the cast, you know, Kristen Bell as Anna, and India Menzel as, um, as, uh, Elsa, and, um, honestly, the songs, you know, Let It Go becomes one of the most top songs and over-covered song ever, you know, a lot of people love that song, it's... The sequences too, and to the point even made to Kingdom Hearts three, and actually, Square Enix did a great job of animating that whole sequence itself. At this one point, and it's like mm, it's a good song. I mean, it even spawned a sequel, so it's like it's one of those stories that actually spawned a sequel that came out recently, and it's right now available on Disney Plus, Frozen Two. So definitely, you can check out both those two films. So that's all I can say about it. I just did see it because my mom made me see it with her, <laughs> like when she got the Blu-ray. So. Can you say about Frozen? But it's a good film. Mm. Um, number seven, Mulan is number seven. Uh, coming to the heels of Disney films like The Hunchback of Notre Dame and Hercules, 1990's Mulan looked at the tired and true Disney coming of age story approach with a twist. As main character, Mulan has more in common with the struggles of Aladdin or Simba than the female Disney heroines who came before her. As such, it's easy to label her Disney animation's first action heroine. Mulan's driving ambition was to bring honor to her family and save her country, shirking romantic responsibilities in the process. In a theme the Disney Animation Studios didn't really visit again until 2016's Moana. Between Ming Na Wen, Eddie Murphy's excellent voice acting performances in the film's stunning animation and catchy songs from Christina Aguilera's reflection to I'll Make a Man of You, um, God, Mulan was a standout in decade with standout was a standout in a decade loaded with standout Disney animated films. Yeah, honestly, she was. Um, pretty much a heroine. She wasn't damsel in distress, so she was basically, yeah, she was one of the, you know, action heroine, kind of. You know, her dad was ill, so she decided to portray herself as a man to take her dad's um, place in the army, because she saw her dad, you know, he was struggling and stuff. And of course, she's not more like a typical girl, pretty much. She was more like a tomboy, almost. And definitely, Eddie Murphy's move, she kind of gives that comedic element to it. I mean... And it kind of had one of those big sequences where um, the the hill scene, where the mountain scene, where you know 
I forgot the, the name of the villain in the, in the film, but um, he comes on the mountain. There's a bunch of so like soldiers coming down, and of course, you know, they do the avalanche sequence, and pretty much, you know, she gets found out. Of course, you got Donny Osmond doing that one song, "I'll Make a Man Out of You," and <laughs> I forgot about Donny Osmond that sequence, oh, the whole yeah. sequence. And of course, we're gonna see the live action version eventually. Once it gets released, right now it's been delayed because you know it'll be nineteen. So we'll see how the live action version. I think the live action version kind of derives a little away from the animated film. It's more action based. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> and so, wow, we're running out of time here. Um, let's uh, get to the next one. We might have to like take another break. We'll see. Number six: No White in the Southern Wars. As the first ever full-length animated feature, 1937 Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs is the movie that launched the dynasty. While certainly wild audiences at the time who were still accustomed to short, simplistic cartoons, Snow White still retains its appeal even amongst the glitzier, flashier anime films of the 21st century. All movies, be the live-action anime, are meant to be appealed to the viewers' emotions. Snow White is one of those most Disney's most heartfelt and engaging efforts, transforming a classic brother's grim tale into a rousing, family-friendly adventure. Here are all the princes need to find their true love with a helpful band of dwarves of key catchy tunes. And quality animation is still hold up today. So, what do you think of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, dude? I mean, that's one of those films my mom bought on VHS later. later yeah, on, but it's a classic. Saw it a bunch of times. Um, it's good. It is what it is. It's a pretty fast movie too. I don't even remember it being that long. Because um, the movie, the pacing of that movie goes pretty fast. Uh, the bulk of it is just her experience with the doors and then everything else. It's pretty much a climax. Uh, it's an old story. It's hard. It's hard to. Uh, I don't see them doing a live action one. If they did, it'd be kind of stupid. Because uh, I think Once Upon a Time did a good, I good uh, job of trying to. Oh, the TV show. Yeah, they did a good job on like. Well, because they just put a bunch of fairy tales together, like as if they're living in the same universe. But uh, they made her more of a. Like character already yeah yeah they as if like the dwarves weren't like because i mean even in the disney movie they did a good job like it's not like she needed them they were just fascinated by her and her control to fucking clean and have animals join her it's ridiculous <laughs> but, uh, no i don't know i have no problems with it. i'm not surprised it's in the top 10 it should be it's one of the original color um films so like i think it's it has to be up there it has to be um but yeah, oh, it's an enjoyable film. It's something you should show your kids. It's pretty harmless, and it gives you good morals. I don't know. It shows you morality in its best form, as as far as animation goes. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't hate Snow White. All right, here we go, the top five. So now we're making it to the top five, guys. This is going to be the longest episode ever. <laughs> All right, let's see what number five is. Um, number five is Fantasia. Um, here's a IGN description. A Disney masterpiece in a milestone animation as a whole, there's so much to praise about 1940s Fantasia. Even now, almost 80 years since it was released, the episodic, mostly non-narrative epic is a course set to the various pieces of famous orchestral music, orchestral music, resulting in sequences like the climactic Night on Ball Mountain, featuring the awesome demon creature, um, Trinobog, there are hallmarks of the genre, technically peerless, featuring an animation that's still among one of the best ever created. The film was an experiment that beautifully blended pop culture with classical music, bewildering and dazzling views for generations. Of course, you know, the famous, you know, Sorcerer's Apprentice is in there as well, even, even the song itself. Um, 
was created for that film. Um, of course, Mickey made an appearance in there as the Sorcerer's Apprentice. And yeah, it was like, it was the whole concept of like, let's take classical music and give it a, like an animation story to it. And of course, uh, Chernobyl became one of the most, that sequence of Night on Ball Mountain. It was a great sequence, it, like the animation for it. And, you know, at that time, like the 1940s, it was a big gamble and it was in color too, so... Um, yeah, like I said, it's one of those things where they took music and added like um, animation to it. I mean, there's different sequences in that film, even Spawn, you know, Fantasia. It was like re-releasing theaters over again. Um, of course, Sorcerer's Apprentice is synonymous with that film as well because, you know, Mickey with the iconic, you know, Sorcerer's Hat and Red Robe. He's often used a lot in the old, like, Disney um, video classics um, opening um, and of course, you know, they had Fantasia 2000, which brought like a new generation of classical music. So that's one of those films, you know, definitely a check out. I would say, I believe it's available on Disney Plus. So, um, like I said, the music was fully done, drawn out. And like I said, there's different sequences in that film as well. Definitely recommend if you're a big fan of music, big fan of classical music, and of course, you know, fan of animation. Definitely something that I would recommend you guys should view. So that's something that, you know, surprising to be at number five. So, like I said, definitely um, recommend, go check that film out. Like I said, if you use music, classical music. Um, what, anything you want to say before we move on to number four when it comes to Fantasia? Um, no, check it out. It's beautiful. Saw it a lot in school growing up. Yeah, if you like classical music, check it out. Animation's always nice. Uh, the Mickey Mouse the Sorcerer's Apprentice part is still a really awesome film. Check it out. Nothing bad to say about Fantasia. Alright, number four. The Little Mermaid. The 1970s and 80s were laying on years for Walt Disney Feature Film after basically inventing... Basically, inventing, after basically inventing the genre and perfecting it to an art form, the studio's reputation suffered from a string of forgettable films like The Black Cauldron and The Great Mouse Detective. That all changed in 1989 with the release of The Little Mermaid and Return to the Glorious Musical Fantasies of Disney's Past. Telling the tale of a mermaid named Ariel who dreams of becoming human and falls in love with a prince. The film had all the qualities of an experimented Broadway musical and beautiful animation to match its numbers from the brilliant team of Alan Mackin and Howard Ashman songs like Part of Your World and Under the Sea became the instant classics. What classic? Oh my god. Hi, Gina. What are you doing? <laughs> classics worthy of Disney Legacy and the film's success with Usher and Renaissance for Disney animation had dominated a decade to come. Yeah, I mean, at the time, you know, Great Mouse and Black Cauldron weren't received well because they were not your typical Disney films. And I guess with this, it needed something to bring that that magic again. And, of course, Little Mary in 1989. Like I said, honestly, this was like Disney's big gamble to become a renaissance because this film kind of launched the whole renaissance of Disney animation. It pretty much got animators to start coming up with stories again, you know. Get the mojo going. And then of course they use like um of course you end up the model of Ariel's take on Alyssa Milano. Apparently she became the model for it. But Sherry Stoner was was the reference point for the similar sequences of the film. So they decided to go back to that Disney style where using actors doing sequences as reference mm-hmm. for the animators. And of course, like I said, it's got member songs like Part of Your World, Under the Sea, became synonymous, has been like popular songs. You know, Jody Benson, the voice of Ariel, with your mind, she sang the songs as well. So it's kind of like having the actors singing, because you still had different act, different people singing the songs, but having 
her singing the song of Party Road, and you can't imagine Party Road without Joey Benson. She was a great voice actress. Um, she's done like some voice acting in other animated films. Um, she was the voice of Barbie in Toy Story, so it was kind of cool bringing her in. She did the voice, she reprised the Rosario in Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2. And actually, um, in Part 2, Part 1, they did t- take some of the story of Little Mermaid in Kingdom Hearts 1, but Part 2 was more like the musical base of it, so they took a lot of musical sequences of Little Mermaid. And you get to hear part of your world as well. Um, well. It was a good film. You know, it's one of those things. It became infamous and controversial because of the artwork of the first VHS artwork at the castle. Because there was a people were saying there was like a hidden penis in there. And of course, there's one sequence where they had to like, I guess there's one sequence when you know Ariel and the prince were getting married, and um, the priest. Apparently, I don't know. People were claiming it's his knee, but it kind of showed he was a little too erect, so they had to fix it in the re-releases. Um, Balderat, I mean, it's one of those films that it was like a Broadway musical, but animated. So it was like I said, it launched the whole Disney animation renaissance where they could do musicals again. Because that's what those Disney films were back in the day. They were kind of like musicals. So I'll be glad. I don't know if you have anything else to say about Little Mermaid. No, I don't really care for it. I don't, it doesn't, it's not for my crowd. Uh, didn't, I didn't watch it a lot. I know about it though, everyone wants to stop singing it. <laughs> Alright, number three. I know we both love this film. Um, Aladdin. Both of one of Disney's catches soundtracks, courtesy composer Alan Menken and songwriters Howard Ashman and Tim Rice, plus an iconic performance from Robin Williams as the genie. It's no surprise Aladdin became the highest grossing film of 1992, beating old hits like Bad Returns, Sister Act, and The Bodyguard for a domestic total of 217 million domestic and 504 million worldwide. It's the story of a scrappy street rat turned prince is based on a Middle Eastern folktale from 1001 Nights, preferably known as Arabian Nights in English. And it was originally pitched in 1988 by Ashman, who unfortunately didn't live to see the finished product. The project had a surprisingly tormentous history, considering how it kind of became studio head Jeffrey Katzenberg. Hmm. Oh, let me see if I can scroll down. Yeah. Jeffrey Katzenberg reportedly didn't care for the first draft of the screenplay by directors John Musker and Ron Clements, and in April 1991 asked the duel to rewrite the story. Without pushing back Aladdin's schedule November 25th, 1992 release date. The time crush clearly didn't affect the quality, and Aladdin remains one of the most beloved films in Disney's Renaissance era, spawning two directed video sequels, an animated series, and a Broadway adaptation, and an upcoming and then a live action remake from Guy Ritchie. So This film was great. The songs remember, of course, Robin Williams as the genie. And it's funny because it was one of those films where, yeah, it was a musical itself in its own right, but at the same time. You know, they had Genie doing pop culture references, like like Robin Williams, you know, his performance as the Genie, you know, able to do, like, all these impersonations and able to add these, imp- like, I don't know if they, he improvised most of the dialogue. I heard that, you know, during the back, like, when they were doing the production that they, I guess there's, like, film of him doing the voice work and adding certain lines and stuff, and I guess some lines got added to the film as well. But, honestly, it was, and then, of course, you know, um... I forgot the name of that song from that film. That was one of the top ones. A Whole New World was was one of the top songs. And the Prince Ali sequence with the genie and stuff. It was a great film. Um, I mean, that's something I I had we got an opportunity to see in theaters. Um, but uh, uh, later on, and it was one I remember seeing it in theaters. I think you were like one years old (laughs) at that time. So I think we both wanted to go see it. Um, I remember mostly because I was a young kid at that time, but. It was a good film, I mean, because I, like I said, Robin Williams as the genie, you know, phenomenal. Like his performance is phenomenal, and the, the genie kind of like 
you know, what, what I was going to say about the film. And of course, I had not seen the live action film by Guy Ritchie. You know, they have Will Smith as the genie, so I have not seen it yet. Uh, I believe it's on Disney Plus as well. Uh, I know they're actually trying to do like a spinoff or something of it as well. Yeah, I'm not surprised. They have to build. But it's one of those films where, you know, they came out with two sequels and they actually had a series. I think the third film was pretty much like a finale of the series as well. Because that film had almost like the same animation style of the series. Yeah, and it went straight to DVD. That's when that started happening. The whole day, the sequel, that's the whole Michael Eisner thing of doing direct uh, video sequels. So, what else can you say about Aladdin, dude? Good. It's been always been good. Can't complain. Um, I, I wish it had made a live action one, but it's. They did just, a live action one, but I know. I just wish they didn't. Oh, they uh, didn't. No, I wish they didn't do that, but it's fine. I mean, Disney's gonna have to. That's how they get a renaissance. You gotta put out shitty stuff in order to put a in order to have a resurgence again. Um. But. Yeah. Nothing bad to say about Aladdin. The animated one's good. Alright, here's number two. Beauty and the Beast. This is the reason Beauty and the Beast became the first full-length animated feature film that ever be nominated for Best Picture at Academy Awards. Yeah. It's a stunning work of art as part of Disney's 90s animation Return of Glory. The movie takes a tale as old as time and spins it into a timely tale of acceptance as transcends its genre. <laughs> Beauty and the Beast is bolstered by its gorgeous animation, fantastic voice acting, and Alan Menken and Howard Ashman's music, which has become some of Disney's most iconic works. And we may take it for granted now, Beauty and the Beast marked a major shift in how Disney approached its princess tales. Mm-hmm. And looking back, we can see in this film is an obvious departure from the days of Cinderella's and Beauty. Indeed, its impact can still be felt from the Mulan to Moana. Beauty and the Beast set a new bar for Disney's animation studios when it was released in 1991. And its standards still fell across the board in the movies that make it in the current era. Yeah, because honestly, you know, it kind of, like I said, it's one of those films where the music, it was like a musical as an all right, but... Yeah, like Belle wasn't a princess. She was a girl who so pretty much likes girl. to read and stuff. Her dad was like an inventor or carpenter or something. And of course, you know, the Beast was this prince who, you know, he was an arrogant prince who eventually, you know, this old lady came across, came knocking on his on his door, and based on how she looked, he didn't want to help her. And of course, the princess, the the that old lady became like an enchantress or something who pretty much transformed. The prince and everybody else in the castle until the prince learned to, to be loved, not to be judged, not by her looks, by what's on the inside. And of course, the whole rose thing, where you know he has to find someone to fall in love with them before the last petal of the rose falls. And of course, you know Belle, being not princess, is like she became pretty much the, the main star of this film, being the main lead. Of course, she, you know, she ends up being the the the, the beast under on circumstances when the beast gets kidnapped, the dad kidnaps. Her dad gets kidnapped by the free beast. So she decides, you know, in exchange for her dad's freedom, she is going to live in the castle with him. And she tries to help, you know, the people in the castle, you know, they get transformed to the household objects and stuff. And, of course, it has the iconic sequence, Be Our Guest. And, of course, that dancing sequence, the ballroom sequence, was really done CG work because it was really done, you know. Having a CG-like background, early CG background with the 2D characters was kind of cool. And then the whole song and everything. Like I said... I recommend that film. I think they did a live action version of it with, um, what's her name, Matt Watson. Mm-hmm. They heard, they had Josh Gad and they had a bunch of people in it. Um, to the point, they're actually going to do a thing, a uh, spinoff of Gaston, like a prequel to Beauty and the Beast. Oh, really? Focus on Gaston. He's going to have his own little... Uh... Yeah, his own little film, yeah. Mm. We'll see how that how it turns out. 
what can you say about Beauty and the Beast? Like I said, it's a good film. Yeah. Definitely, definitely check it out. It's a classic. Hurricane, number one. The Lion King. Ah, shit. Yeah. That's the number one. Yeah. Coming at the height of the Disney animation of the early 90s, The Lion King was a huge hit. In fact, it remains the highest grossing traditionally animated film ever released. Today, Simba and Scar and Mufasa are household names thanks to the enormous popularity, not just the film, but all the sequels and the soundtracks and the Broadway plays and all the rest of it would have been based on... Have been, ba- have been based on the original. But back in 1994, one who could predict that this character's would enter the lexicon of Disney's most popular creations. Simba's journey to adulthood, retribution, is rightful places the Lion King is in this especially new or groundbreaking tale. Hmm. On the contrary, it's full, of tra- uh, it's full of tried and true Disney hallmarks, tragic origin, comic animal sidekicks, life lessons learned, etc. Even yet, it works amazingly well, perhaps because of the unique vibe Given the proceedings by the artist's African landscapes and the percussion beats of composers Elton John and Tim Rice, the film combines traditional concepts with new and interesting angles. Let's call it Disney's Circle of Life. Um, yeah, I remember this film with theaters. Um, the animation sequence was great. Um, honestly, I would say it's not. I know Disney claims it's an original work. It's not actually. There's some. There's a thing called in Japan. They had their own version called Kimba the White Lion. Um, they said that Disney was inspired by it. Because it's kind of the same, you know, concept, you know. But it's kind of, this is almost like a Shakespearean think of it. Because it's kind of like Hamlet, almost. It was kind of like, they took the concept of the Shakespearean, like, Hamlet. And take it, like, because, you know, Mufasa dies. And, you know, Scar ends up taking over. It's kind of similar to Hamlet. And, of course, you know. Simba's struggle, like, he's a kid, he doesn't want to be king or anything or anything like that, so, um, of course, the tragedy, you know, his dad dies, you know, he feels responsible for it, thanks to Mufasa, you know, manipulating him, and, uh, thanks to Scar manipulating, um, Simba, and, of course, he runs off, gets across to the desert, ends up getting found by, uh, Timon and Pumbaa, who, you know, the funny sequence of Kunumata, you know, no worries, hang out with them, like, it's like, you know, like I said, it's a struggle, like, this, this, the music was great. It's great for his work, you know. Jeremy Irons is a scar, and of course, you got James Earl Jones as Mufasa, Mufasa yeah. that that the commanding voice and everything. And of course, you know, you had um, of course, you had uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas as the young Simba, but you had Matthew Broderick as the older Simba. So you had first Bueller to everybody. Um, so and then you had Nathan Lane in, in it as well. Um. Like I said, it's and then you have Whoopi Goldberg, Cheech Marin, and um, oh my God, Jim Cummings as uh the three hyenas. So it's got like he had a good voice cast. Um, and like I said, the the music sequences were great. Um, like I said, it's like a Shakespearean type story, uh, musical, but with an African setting. So honestly, the animation quality it still holds up. I mean, I took the liberty of seeing the live action film by John Favreau. It kind of takes a little bit, but it kind of twists it a little bit. Hmm. I mean, if you're trying to make it with realistic animals, yeah, there were some sequences you probably wouldn't be able to pull it off if it wasn't animated. But it was kind of cool. They kind of changed it up a little bit. They kind of changed some sequences a little bit and kind of made the character strong. Like, they made Nala not as, like, made her a strong character as well. So, definitely check out the anime version plus the live action film. I thought both were good. So, what do you think, about Lion King? That's good. Uh, <coughs> yeah, for the 
forgot there was a second part, but uh, the first one was good. I, it's still classic. The sequels I never really fell. No, because that's that's when they went all straight to the, the DVD, and it's just like <coughs> it, didn't, it, didn't. I, it sacrificed. I, not quality per se. It's just I think it's just it's hard to come. It's hard to top something that doesn't need to necessarily be topped. It's hard to make. You don't have to make a sequel for everything, and I think Disney was starting to suffer from that. Because uh, they they started making sequels for everything. A Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, the direct video sequel, Cinderella. Fucking Cinderella had a sequel. Like, yeah, all it was like, didn't have I think to. it was Michael Eisner's call of just trying to... Milk more money. Milk more money, like you said. Um, and then, of course, uh, they had Lion King 1 and a half, which was like the Lion King, but from the perspective of Timon and Pumbaa. Which nobody needed. Like, why? Those characters are just there for comedic relief. We don't need... It's like getting it's like getting uh, Shrek's story, but from Donkey's perspective, mm-hmm. which is all right because Eddie Murphy can make everything anything funny. But like, do we really need something like that? No, I can understand the Fiona thing. It, it's just like we don't need this reverse perspective on the same story. That's like that's you're making a that's what the rest of development did on their last their return season on Netflix. That's why I didn't do so good because it was the same story, but they just brought in. Each each character had their individual episode on perspective showing up to this exact plot line. Mm. So you wasn't you weren't getting anything new. It was just from the perspective of this particular character. And did Lion King really need that as a sequel or a and I I guess you could say a deleted scenes thing for it? No. Lion King is good for what Well, it's I about the I mean there was a deleted scene like they had that one song by Scar had a song in the Lion King but it wasn't in the final release. But I like for a fact in the live action version, they actually added it on there. Well, because it's be prepared. It was called be prepared because I guess in the animation one, the animation delay sequence, it had the hyenas marching like Nazis. Mm-hmm. But I think in this one, in the live action version, they kind of changed it up. But they added the song, which I did like for a fact they added that song. But they changed the sequence. Like I said, in the live action version, they had to change so many sequences, and they changed so many things because there was one scene where you know. To one point, we had to do distraction with the hyenas. So they took away the whole hula dance thing. Hmm. So in the live action version, um, they had Timon parodying Be Our Guest. Because it would have looked dumb. It would have looked dumb. Yeah, so instead they had Timon singing Be Our Guest. And it, they did the same destruction, but like I said, they... And of course, they made one of the hyenas kind of like the scars, like number two. In the live action film, so they had to all have somebody to fight with. Mm-hmm. To show that Nala was was able to fight because if you were realizing in the culture, in jungle like in the animal culture, the lion, um, the lion, the, the lioness is to do the hunting. They do, yeah, the hunting. they do the hunting. And the kitten, the lion, the male lion is pretty much there for just breeding. Well, they hunt too, but the the, the as a sign of mating, the female shows its worthiness too by hunting. Yeah, and so it also it's like a reverse alpha culture. It's very cool, but like. Yeah, that's nice that Disney try to throw that into the the live action thing because like they have to do something. Which I don't know if this is going to be the bump in the road that Disney needs in order to have a rejuvenation on their animated front because like this whole lot like we can have a whole other podcast on this. But like just saying uh, with Mulan getting pushed back, we're gonna see maybe a little a little dink in the armor for them for Disney because like these live action movies are kind of just like. I think they're going to be forgettable in the next decade or so. I mean, with with regards to uh, Beauty and the Beast, because that was done a little bit before 
the the pumping of money into readapting their animated properties during the nineties that caught them that gave them the boost. But like we don't need that. You're 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 selling to the wrong people here. And so I think like them having to be creative was there, but like the whole well we have to take out the, the, the hula hoop part because warthogs don't hula hoop in real life. No, so, it's a one cousin hula man. So I guess But it's like you're you're making a, a real life thing out of Disney and that's the whole point, is that you can't. Like that's not that's not the point of Disney. Yeah. So I think this is what the live action ones are gonna fail with. It's just because nobody needs it. Yeah, this. and then Milan gets like clack because they don't have Bushu and Interim. It's like, well, why? It's like if they're, they're trying to show yeah. Milan as a strong character. Like if you're gonna try to make her like, you know, a strong you gotta make it action oriented, but at the same time to show like a strong character. So it's like I mean this list is not bad. This is IGN's list, which I think was alright. I mean it was all right, all right. Yeah. Um Dev okay, so we're gonna wrap up this episode, but this has become one of our longest episodes. Uh, we're gonna wrap it up with Biko segment on Tales from Reddit. No, just more more uh, COVID stuff. Uh, just all the news that they were trying to suppress. It's it's finally coming out now. Um, we are literally the second wave of of Italy because we didn't take it so fast. Uh, <laughs> the one thing I saw on Reddit is that some Republican officials are stating that. Uh, that humans should put their lives on the line for like the stock market to go up again because it's it's suffering bad and it's like yeah the rich people are losing more money to cope their riches we can't let them do that and so they're saying that people risking their lives for the stock market is essential it's like a it's important that people should risk their lives for that shit and it's like no that's not how it works and so like it's just a lot of our people and their government are showing their true colors which if you didn't know this by now, it's not necessarily news. They're just dropping the ball on this shit. Uh, so just do whatever you can to be healthy. Um, I think society's turning around. Given that people are staying home, it's going to hopefully show a lot of people in their minds that, like, yeah, this shit doesn't work without us, the people that are actually working on the front lines of things. Uh, and it's only going to get worse if this is real, so... Take care of yourselves. Uh, Reddit is just like a COVID fucking nightmare. It's just every time I look. Yeah, that's like I said, guys. It's kind of hard to find something like this. Is at least we found something that it's kind of a distraction. Yeah, but it's kind of hard when it comes to pop culture news. But hopefully, we'll have a like I said. Luckily, IGN had something that we can be you know mm-hmm. commentate on, and that's kind of cool. I kind of like doing this top t- top thing list. We might we might do something like that. We just gotta find something. We wanna do a top ten or something. Um, we might do a top twenty-five. We just gotta find something we feel. We might do that for the next episode. We might do like a top twenty-five or something. But if you guys have any suggestions on um, what a top twenty-five list we should do, um, you can um, go to our Facebook page. It's facebook.com/talkandpop. You can post your suggestions there. Um, you can tweet me on Twitter at the franchise eighty-five. It's all one word. Um, tweet your suggestion for a top twenty-five. Use the hashtag talkpop. Um, and, you know, hit us up on there and see what um, Top 25 me and Biko should uh, have an episode focus on. Because, honestly, we need a, a distraction just to distract us from the whole COVID-19. I mean, it's not, we're not forgetting about it. It's just, it's, like I said, it's kind of hard to find something as lighthearted with this going on. So, hopefully, in the next few months, it'll get better, guys. Just be patient. You know, once again, you know, thank you to the people that are working in medical, grocery stores, pharmacies warehouses manufacturing 
because right now they're in truck drivers especially because they're you know risking you know health and lives to help you know keep this country going as of right now they're keeping drilling and of course people are fortunate to work from home and kids hopefully are getting education at home as well you know throughout high school and learning something so guys as i said once again thank you for you guys for those service you guys provide um that's pretty much it um we're gonna you know enjoy your week guys like i said stay healthy clean check yourselves you know check your family members you just chime in once in a while see how they're doing you know we got social distancing practice social distancing right now as you can as much as you can make sure you have plenty of food everything so there's a lot of things you can do keep yourselves busy board games so one thing too so find a new hobby find a hobby at its time you'll read is another good distraction as well you know do like hobbies there's a lot of things you can that it has, it has suggestions so definitely check that out once again as I am the franchise I'm Beagle as always geek on and take care <laughs>